0: You're listening to the Mormon Theories Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Hinkley. My wife calls me a Joseph Smith fanboy, and she's right. I'm always looking to understand him more and see how his prophecies have been fulfilled. He is awesome. So, when I found a Facebook page called The Return of Joseph Smith, I had to get whoever was behind it on the podcast. Well, my guest today is Dustin Grady, the man who runs The Return of Joseph Smith page, and he has a very interesting theory. That Joseph Smith will be coming back in the last days. I was super impressed with Dustin. He knows the scriptures so well and it was an absolute pleasure to have a conversation with him and I think you're going to like it. So sit back, relax, and hear the compelling case on how Joseph Smith will be returning from the dead to gather Israel and lead them back to Zion. Please check out the show notes to this episode at mormontheories.wordpress.com if you want to delve deeper into this topic. As you listen, please know that the views of my guests on the podcast do not necessarily reflect my own beliefs or the official doctrine of any denomination, including the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And with that, enjoy the show. Hey, Dustin, welcome to the podcast, man.
1: Thank you, Ryan. I am super excited to be here. I've been listening to your first episodes, and I'm honored to be invited. This is fun.
0: Yeah, I'm honored to get to talk to you. This is, I'm super excited. Um, so we have a really fun theory to talk about, but first I'd love for you to kind of tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah.
1: So I, I'm in my mid thirties. I'm still single, grew up in a church and, uh, grew up doing a lot of music. I served a mission to Central America, uh, went to BYU studying music. Um, I taught band and orchestra for a while. I've, Love, love to do traveling, love the outdoors. Um, I'm currently an entrepreneur doing a couple of, of, of business ventures. And, uh, and being single has allowed me to do that because I kind of quit my job and pursued some things with, that had no guarantee or, or promise per se. And, uh, and I was like, Hey, sweet, I, well, I'm still single, I'm going to pursue this. And it's been a lot of fun. And that has also given me more time to pursue another passion of mine, which is the gospel, the scriptures, uh, which has uh, led me to discover cool things like the return of Joseph Smith and and some other fun stuff. Um, and, uh, and so it's a little bit of my background. Uh, I taught Institute for a couple years in a single stake and, um, where we kind of piloted that program of uh, the singles teaching each other. That was a lot of fun. And, um, so I've always had a passion for teaching. I really loved being a teacher. People ask me if I miss it and I always say, "Well, I miss teaching the kids. <laughs> I don't miss I don't miss it, other things." Anyway, that's a little bit about me, a little bit uh about some of the stuff that I'm really interested in and have a passion for. Um I most of my close friends know me as the silly guy, goofy guy. I usually have a lot of energy and and kind of fun. Uh like to play around and joke around a lot. So, yeah, hopefully that that paints a a semi-human picture of me. <laughs>
0: that's perfect. Um, so just real quick, what, do you have an instrument that's like your instrument? I mean, you said you taught band and orchestra.
1: You know, I was one of those, um, I don't want to call it a casualty because I ended up being just fine, but I'll, but for lack of a better term, I was one of those casualties that got moved to another instrument out of necessity. Uh, so my my instrument of choice was the trumpet, and I absolutely loved it. had a, had a greater passion for that, but I got moved to the trombone which is oftentimes in bands, uh, much higher need. And I I had a proclivity for music and general learning instruments, so it was not a challenge for me. And uh, so I just kind of got stuck there, never could get moved back. So by the time college rolled around, most of my talent had been developed on the trombone, so that was what I had a chance to get in. And, uh, and BYU is pretty competitive in, in most... Um, instruments anyway trumpet especially so i didn't really have a chance to try and go back on that and trombone was a little bit easier uh, to get into because it's just a little bit less competition you know and so i got in on the trombone and was able to uh get two degrees from byu in music and i still play the trombone i love it Uh, as a band teacher i got to uh, play a lot of other instruments uh, all the time and, and get better at other instruments and um and I taught at a small school, too, so I often would have to fill in spots with my students, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, and I grew up in a small school, too, so that was, that was a dynamic that I was really used to and had grown really close to my, my music teacher, my band teacher, back then. So,
0: yeah. That's awesome. I actually played the trumpet as well. It's, uh, oh, sweet. Yeah, it's been the a few brothers. years. Yeah, I've definitely lost the, the embouchure or whatever it's called, but um, I loved it. It was really fun.
1: Yeah, it's not like riding a bike.
0: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) no, I think I tried like a couple years ago, but it had been like five years since I touched it and I could barely play like uh, the C, you know, like the normal high C, whatever that's called. So as boring as it is, the secret to that is just spend like a
1: few 10, 15 minute sessions over the course of a week doing long tones, just blowing middle to lower notes for as long as you can, take a couple deep breaths doing that, and that's super boring. One way to do it is try on your favorite song and find a note that matches that, and just keep holding it and, and change it a little bit. And uh, after a week, then you'll be back to to not obviously where you were per se, but more yeah. comfortable. I mean, there you go, little little bit of free
0: <laughs> fan teacher advice there for you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we'll have to try that. Okay. Well, um, I got you on the podcast because you have a really interesting theory about Joseph Smith, um, and you, you run a Facebook page called The Return of Joseph Smith. Right, right? Yeah. Can, you, can you tell us about that theory?
1: Yeah, so essentially, uh, keep it really short, the, the idea is that Joseph Smith was always set and prophesied to return to finish the restoration, which was cut short in his lifetime. Uh, so his mission was always planned and prophesied in the scriptures as a two-part mission, uh, which would be the first ever of its kind in the world, and the scriptures kind of point that out. And these are veiled references in the scriptures, but uh, but they're not too veiled, so you can start peeling them back kind of quickly. So he returns uh, in the last days, in the final days, as Isaiah talks about, to deliver the Lord's people from extreme bondage under the Antichrist. And... He's also tasked to be the one to throw down that great and abominable church, the great whore, as Revelation calls it, and doctrine and covenants, and to lead the Lord's people on the great exodus, which will be uh, larger than Moses's, because it will encompass leading out all of all of House of Israel eventually, and establish Zion, the New Jerusalem, and build it, which he was called to do, and bring in the lost ten tribes, restore Judah. Uh, eventually defeat the Antichrist and herald in the second coming of Jesus Christ. So that's, in a nutshell, the theory.
0: Okay, so the theory is that even though Joseph Smith has died, he will come back to finish all of that, what you just said, right? Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Um, yeah, I, I, I saw this theory on your page and it just kind of blew my mind. So I'm really excited to ask you some questions about it. Um, so, man, like you just said a lot. It's hard to unpack, but what kind of evidence do you have for this theory or what evidence is there in the scriptures that maybe you've compiled and you just give us kind of an overview of that?
1: Yeah. And, and even though I said a bunch, uh, allow me to shrink it down to something more concise, that Joseph was appointed to be the prophet of the last dispensation to do all the things that the scriptures talk about needing to happen um for the lord's people up until the second coming so he did a lot of that that first go around but then there's a bunch of stuff that we've generally in the church grown up knowing about not everyone knows the same as everyone else obviously but generally knowing that okay we have to go back to Missouri, we've got to establish Zion, build New Jerusalem, got to bring in the last ten tribes, got to reestablish Old Jerusalem, got, you know, all the things that are supposed to happen. And some people aren't aware of the bondage uh, that's, that's going to happen, but the scriptures are, are pretty clear on that. Um, and that bondage, also is supposed to have a deliverer, a Moses-type, a temporal Messiah, like Moses, to deliver them out of that bondage. And, and so all of these events are supposed to be headed up by the great prophet of the Last Dispensation, and that's Joseph Smith. So so that that helps just kind of concise it down a little bit, so it's like, wait, what's so what's he supposed to do? Well, everything for the Last Dispensation that's supposed to occur according, that the scriptures lay out, is supposed to be headed up and overseen by Joseph Smith.
0: Can, uh, maybe, and maybe you'll get to this later, but what, can you elaborate a little bit on that bondage that you were talking about, that the House of Israel will be in?
1: yeah absolutely. And you know part of this well i'll I'll just say so obviously as as the nature of, of these kind of interviews go, I'll go into what little I can and hopefully the the listener understands naturally that that we're just touching on some of these ideas and so for more, you know, I wish I had a website I could tell people to go to and and we would eventually love one, but I actually just started that Facebook page pretty recently okay um and so I'd love to have a website that people go to and just read everything um in the meantime meantime you come to the facebook page and get little bits in there and then send me a message but uh part of this if we just jump right over to section 103 the subject here is the redemption of zion so zion hasn't been redeemed yet because we're not there we're not in Missouri, we're not building up the New Jerusalem. Right. So that's the redemption of Zion that the Doctrine and Covenant talks about several times. And so in 103, verse 15, he says the redemption of Zion has to come by power. And that is an Isaiah reference. Power is an Isaiah reference, a metaphor. And then he then says, therefore, since it has to come by power, I will raise up unto my people a man who will lead them like as Moses led the children of Israel. For you, the children of Israel and the seed of Abraham, and here it is. And you must needs be led out of bondage by power and with a stretched out arm. The power and stretched out arm is an Isaiah metaphor. It's obviously the power of God and the stretched out arm of God, but it's a metaphor for his servant that carries that out. Just like, just like Moses led out the children of Israel. So that's the most uh, succinct reference there. And we have a few others uh, in the scriptures. We have another reference in Jeremiah, for example. In chapter 23, and we have verses 5 to 8, The days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment. Well, people naturally, the Christian world and a lot of LDS say, well, that king is Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus Christ is the king of kings, but there are kings under Jesus Christ the king. Otherwise, he can't be the king of kings. And those are spiritual kings, and this is one of them. And we know it's one of them because the next couple of verses. In his days, Judah shall be saved. Jesus comes after Judah is saved. And Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name, whereby you call him the Lord, our righteousness, or in other places, the Lord is our righteousness. That's what the name means. Therefore, and here it is, verses 7 and 8, same as 103. Therefore, behold, the days come, says the Lord, that they shall no more say, the Lord lives, which brought up children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. That was out of bondage. Mm-hmm. So they will say, right here, verse 8, But rather the Lord liveth which brought up and which led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country, the last ten tribes, and from all countries that I've driven them, and they'll dwell in their own land. So this is an exodus that will encompass the whole earth, which is why uh, instead of referencing that great exodus of old, this exodus will eclipse that exodus because it will be earthwide. And that ties right back into this man who will be like Moses to lead the children of Israel in section 103. So there's just a little bit about that bondage. Isaiah goes into a lot more depth, but Isaiah is cloaked in metaphor, as as Nephi points out. And um, thanks to the Isaiah Institute, led by Avraham Gileadi, uh, his life's work has been to unfold a lot of Isaiah for us with from the Latter-day Saint. Perspective from the restoration of the, the gospel. So, we all owe a lot to him for, for his improved translation and for picking out a lot of these, these metaphors so we can discover more meaning there. So,
0: yeah, hopefully that helps. Yeah. So is it like, like a spiritual bondage, or is it just like the bondage that we're just scattered and we're not really gathered yet? Is that kind of the bondage that?
1: Great question. You remember how Laman and Lemuel ask Nephi, so he comes down from the mountain and they're fighting, and they're like, "We don't understand what Dad said and yeah. all this stuff." And Nephi rebukes them, but then, but then they ask him in the midst of the back and forth. They said, "So are you talking about temporally, or are you talking about spiritually?" Uh, so same question you just asked, and it's all about Isaiah, and it's all about the stuff, and these prophecies, in the end of the world, and how it also applied to them. And Nephi says it's both, and for us it's also both. You know, Jesus in In Third Nephi 23, he says, look, you got to study Isaiah, you got to search these things diligently. Everything that he said has happened and it will happen again. So it's a prophecy for the end times, which is now. And and so Isaiah lays out this idea of spiritual bondage, but then a very physical bondage, a very much under oppression. Um, In fact, most of the language... In Isaiah is, is about physical oppression and physical destruction, even though the spiritual side is, is referenced here and there also. Okay,
0: awesome. Yeah, if that makes sense that it would be both. And Isaiah is pretty intricate, so
1: yeah, and it really ties into Revelation because that's that's what John goes into. You know, that's the whole idea of the beast and having to serve the beast, and it'll get to the point where if you don't uh, take the mark of the beast um, and serve, you know, serve the image of the beast. Then you can't buy or sell, which means you can't get food, you can't participate in the economy, et cetera, et cetera. He's pretty clear on that. So that that is a bondage right there. Um, and the Book of Mormon gives lots of types and shadows. The Book of Mormon is literally for the last days. We've been saying that for 170 years or whatever, 180 years, but but the but all the all the things in the Book of Mormon, all the stories are types and shadows. So when we read about King Noah and Limhi and Alma the Elder and the and the bondage they underwent there that's a type and shadow for what's going to happen in the end days so yeah very much a physical bondage will occur
0: okay interesting cool well yeah thanks that was kind of a little tangent um but so so there's all these prophecies that someone in the last days will help lead israel back to zion and will establish zion and they'll do all these awesome things um and your theory is that that person is joseph smith yeah so what um what kind of evidence do, do you have that this is actually going to be Joseph Smith and not some separate person?
1: That's a great question, and it's a hotly debated topic. And uh, I'm super passionate about it because uh, once you start to see it, it is everywhere in the Scriptures, uh, and they all prove each other um, despite assertions to the contrary. And then on top of that, uh, so the Scriptures alone prove it out, in my opinion, the way I see it, and uh, we'll touch on some of those as we can tonight. But in addition to that, what most people are familiar with are the quotes from either Joseph or contemporaries that uh, say it pretty bluntly. And and whether whether you believe those or not, I still think the scriptures prove it out, but it's fun to go to those, and, and they're a little bit easier to start with. Um, and so I will start with one that is a really popular and well-known one It was actually the... I think it was the first post I put on, on Facebook, just because it is the plainest of them all. And uh, that is from Parley P. Pratt, uh, from his autobiography. So with Parley P. Pratt, what's so interesting about, about Parley P. Pratt is that in this reference, it has, well, in the quote, has a veiled reference to his reaction to the martyrdom, and the background's important. So I'll just read it here. Um, Let's see, the screen is still shared, right? Okay, here we go. So Parley P. Pratt, on a mission in Wisconsin when he received the news, devastating news, that Joseph and Hiram had been murdered at Carthage. Uh, shocked and stunned at the news, he immediately returned home to Nauvoo, walking the last 100 miles from Peoria, Illinois, to Nauvoo. He was completely overwhelmed as to what advice he should give the saints when he arrived in Nauvoo. He later described the death of his emotional turmoil thus, I walked onward, weighed down, as it were, unto death. When I could endure it no longer, I cried out I cried aloud, saying, O oh Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray thee, show me what these things mean, and what I shall say to thy people. Now, this question doesn't mean enough. Show me what these things mean, and what'll I say to the people? That question doesn't mean enough until we start to get the background that that the saints and the, especially the uh, the Apostles, the Council of Fifty, uh, but these people understood that Joseph was called to do all these things. And when we read all those references, we look back and say that the saints were foolish, because, or not necessarily foolish, but short-sighted to think that the Second Coming was going to happen because they all talk about it as if it's imminent, and the Doctrine and Covenants talks about like the Second coming's is imminent. Well, part of that mystery is because Joseph was the person who was supposed to do all these things and they knew that they knew he was supposed to build Zion well Zion wasn't built they were kicked out the new yeah. Jerusalem wasn't built they were kicked out they knew that Joseph was supposed to lead in the 12 the lost 10 tribes and restore Judah and yet now he's dead and it didn't happen so all of these things that they knew pertain to Joseph and so that's like okay well that's our time that's our day it's going to happen soon that's why they believed it was going to happen soon they didn't understand and Joseph didn't understand that it would happen in two pieces or two parts now that's a little bit background let's jump back into parley's quote so he cries out in complete anguish show me what these things mean and what will i say to thy people and then he says here suddenly the spirit of god came upon me and filled my heart with joy and gladness indescribable and while the spirit of revelation glowed in my bosom with as visible a warmth and gladness as if it were fire the spirit said unto me Lift up your head and rejoice, for behold, it is well with my servants Joseph and Hiram. My servant Joseph still holds the keys of my kingdom in this dispensation, that to which he is appointed. Or sorry, in this dispensation, and he shall stand in due time on the earth, in the flesh, and fulfill that to which he is appointed. So that right there tells us, Just from Parley's quote, if that quote is accurate, that we have this notion of okay, Parley didn't understand how it could be possible that Joseph was taken before he finished his mission. And he knew that the saints would be perplexed and, and have that same struggle. And so the Spirit says, don't worry about it. Joseph will again stand in due time on the earth, stand in due time on the earth in the flesh. And that phrase, scripturally, means something very particular we'll we'll get to that later uh, and fulfill that to which he is appointed so what was he appointed to do all those things that that are laid out in the scriptures to bring in the second coming so so that is that is a great reference to start with because it's pretty clear it's pretty plain yeah um but i do prefer scriptures so the main reference that i think is the clearest and the strongest comes from section 101, which has the parable of the redemption of Zion. And it also has commentary on that parable in sections 103 and 105, which, have, which were given shortly after uh, 101. And this is important because the redemption of Zion is when Zion is fully established in the New Jerusalem build. Now, they thought it was going to happen in their day. They expected it to because Joseph was supposed to lead it and this these revelations kind of bear that out Um, but the parable is really curious because the doctrine of covenants uh, only has a couple of parables and they're they're pretty peculiar this one's peculiar because of how long it is and how intricate it is when we read the parables in the new testament uh, they're awesome they're usually short and succinct and um, and they're usually very general or generic like a couple of basic items and we compare them and then we kind of grow up being taught well you can't get super technical on the meaning of every tiny part of the parable because he's just trying to mean something generic and that's how it holds its its shape and it holds its meaning this particular parable however has meaning on almost every single uh, aspect every little aspect Uh, and we're not going to go into all those we're just going to i'll just give a quick overview of the parable and then his commentary in 103 and 105. So essentially, the parable starts with the Lord takes servant to the vineyard. It's on a choice piece of land which should hit us on the nose, the promised land, right? And says, "Okay, go here, establish my vineyard, plant twelve olive trees, uh, symbolism for restoration of Israel, etc. The gospel, and bring the other servants and do all this stuff. Build build a hedge or a wall uh, to protect the vineyard, and build a tower." so that you can see the enemy and so they start doing all that the servants get to a point where some of them start saying well do we really have to build this tower it's a lot of work blah 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 and other guys are like we have all this money we could give it to the exchangers instead so looking to take advantage of the situation and this is while they're it says while they were laying the foundation of the tower so they hadn't even really built much of it at all so then they got at variance with each other and got slothful. And so the enemy comes in and takes over the vineyard, which is really significant. Takes over the vineyard, destroys their works, scatters the servants. That's significant. Uh, tears down the all trees. The Lord comes back and rebukes them, comes to the servants rather, comes to the servants and rebukes them saying, uh, you didn't do everything I said because I said to do all this and build a tower so that you could see the enemy and you would see him and build a, stop stop this takeover well at that moment that's okay now we're going to jump in and read so this is section 101 the parable is about 20 verses long about 43 to 62 i guess that's exactly 20 verses uh and we're just going to read right here in the middle after he rebukes them verse 55 and the lord of the vineyard said unto one of his servants so one of these guys which was the head servant at the beginning go and gather together the residue of my servants or the rest of my servants, those who remain and take all the strength of mine house, which are my warriors, my young men, they that are middle-aged and also my servants who are the strength of mine house, save those whom I appointed to tarry and go straightway unto the land of my vineyard and redeem my vineyard. Now this is the parable of the redemption of Zion. So this is now the command to go and redeem it. And then uh, he goes on to say all this stuff. So here it keeps going, but I just want to, flip over to 103, we were already reading verses 15 and 16 about the redemption of Zion has to come by power. Therefore, a man like Moses will come to deliver you. And fast forward a few verses, verily, verily, I say unto you that my servant Joseph Smith Jr. is the man to whom I likened the servant, to whom the the Lord of the vineyard spake in the parable which I've given unto you, the parable of the redemption of Zion. Joseph is the man likened to that metaphorical servant. And then he makes it even clearer in the next verse, 22, Therefore, let my servant Joseph Smith Jr. say to the strength of mine house, my young men, middle-aged, gather yourselves together unto, unto the land of Zion. So Joseph is supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, we jump to 105, and he says in verse 2, they might have been redeemed even now, but we jump to verse 9, and and he says, But in consequence of the transgressions of my people, it's expedient that mine elders should wait a little season, undefined, unspecified time, a little season for the redemption of Zion, because we know Zion has not been redeemed. And then we skip ahead to 16 and 17, we have the same iteration. Behold, I've commanded my servant Joseph Smith Jr. to say to the strength of mine house, even my warriors, my young men, my middle-aged, to gather together for the redemption of my people and throw down the towers of mine enemies and scatter their watchmen, but the strength of my house haven't hearkened unto my words. So... Joseph Smith is uh, is pointed out in this parable by the Lord as the person in charge of getting everyone gathered back to Zion and redeeming Zion, according to the parable and according to the Lord's uh, defining of the metaphorical roles in that parable.
0: Yeah. Um. So, kind of like talking about that dual fulfillment thing, do you think that? Back in before Joseph Smith died, do you think he was like filling that role of the servant? Like he was trying to call the warriors, the young men, the middle aged to gather. But then like 17 says this, verse 17, but they weren't hearkening unto the words of the Lord. Like, do you think? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And we see that
1: in in the scriptures. We see it in his writings. We see that in writings and minutes in the high council minutes and council 50 minutes. We see that quite a bit, and we'll jump back to the parable to the topic that I mentioned that Joseph, that nobody, including Joseph, knew that it wasn't going to happen in his lifetime. They didn't know, but the Lord prophesied about it. In fact, the Lord prophesied about it and had many prophets prophesy about it, uh, but Joseph didn't know. So it looks as if it was veiled uh, from his knowledge, at least until the very end, uh, because there is evidence that at the very end, when he saw that he was going to die, he knew he'd have to come back, because he knew he was supposed to do it. So, to answer your question here section 105 is evidence of that question or the answer rather because Joseph had got together Zion's camp and Zion's camp was for the purpose of him going and redeeming Zion so when when you read the section heading about section 101 it's like oh this is just about Zion's camp whatever on section 103 and 105 this is all pertaining to Zion's camp so it doesn't pertain to the here and the now well the problem was it wasn't fulfilled so zion's camp was set up as this gathering together the young men the warriors etc and they thought they were going to redeem zion and be these warriors and yet before they get there they're stopped a little before they get there and joseph gets the revelation of 105 that says mm, no it's not ready transgressions of my people no nope, not ready you guys got to wait a little season and that little season has gone on and on um uh, for, you know, a long time now at this point.
0: Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. Um, yeah. Do you have uh, more on that evidence or is there another? Is there yeah, more? quite a bit. I mean, yeah. uh,
1: it's, it's really fun how in depth it goes. Once you start seeing it, it is everywhere. So okay. um, coincidentally enough, the Lord in his parables Well, in his parables about vineyards, they all interconnect. Um, And this plays into the general idea in the Scriptures, as we're trying to study the Scriptures and learn more from the Scriptures, to expect to not only see recurring patterns, to also see recurring themes, and expect um, the Scriptures to all join together into one. And so we should be able to have all the Scriptures prove each other and hook into each other. So right off the top of my head, we have the allegory of the olive tree, which is really similar to this. And it lays it out very similarly, just a lot thicker in metaphor. And we have the Matthew 21 parable of the wicked husbandman and the vineyard, which plays out really similarly to this. And those three parable of redemption of Zion, that servant in the vineyard, Jacob five, Matthew 21 with the JST, which is critical. The JST, Matthew 21 reference are all critical. So if we jump to just to look at a couple of those iterations, for example, we see in Jacob 5, you know, 49 to 70 is when it sounds like the restoration where the Lord says, ah, time to destroy this whole thing. It's garbage, whatever. Get rid of it. And the servant says, well, spare it a little longer. He's like, well, I will spare it a little longer because it grieves me to lose my vineyard, which is, uh, you know, a little bit understated clearly and so he sends the servant now what is a little bit of a veiled reference uh well i guess we'll get to that in a minute but uh but what we just point out here is that the servant comes verse 70 it came to pass the lord of the vineyard sent his servant and the servant went and did as the lord commanded him and brought other servants so it's similar to 101:55, where the lord tells one of his servant go get the residue of my servants and then go and redeem zion and so they go and they work in this vineyard and bring the natural fruit again And in Matthew 21, we have this idea of this vineyard and sending servants and the husbandmen being wicked and killing and slaying the servants. And then we get to the JST and towards the end of this parable of sending all this stuff. And he's like, well, okay, when the Lord of the vineyard comes, he'll destroy the miserable wicked men, the husbandmen, and let his vineyard to other husbandmen. Husbandmen are stewards. So other stewards, even in the last days, were to him the fruits of their seasons. So that's really similar to the parable of redemption of Zion, because uh, right after he tells his servants to go back, we have verses 57 and 58 that say, get straightway to my land, break down the walls of my enemies, throw down their tower, scatter their watchmen. So, they, so now the stewards or the husbandmen over this vineyard, uh, the Lord is calling them enemies, uh, they've built a tower, they've built a wall, and he says, go scatter them, break down their wall, break throw down their tower, and inasmuch as they gather together against you, avenge me of mine enemies, that by and by I may come with the residue of mine house and possess the land. So so they they all weave together to paint this picture, and as we go into Isaiah, as we go into Ezekiel, as we go into Jeremiah, we have references to these similar concepts. And so it's really fun to find These references sometimes are subtle, sometimes are more on the nose, and they all kind of join together there. Interesting.
0: Yeah, I've uh, the more I study, like I know, I've I've noticed that there's definitely more vineyards talked about in the scriptures, and that there is it there is some connection between all of them. So it's very interesting to hear you kind of connect all of those together. Um, Definitely have to read those closer (laughs) the next time I go through it um but that's that's cool so this is a one question I had and it, maybe it's kind of a tangent but you said that when I think it was the 101 parable that the the watchmen or the the servants whoever were there were scattered do you think that has to do with like the secession crisis when Joseph died or is that something completely different in my way off
1: uh, it absolutely does. And it's, it is broader than that, but it, it definitely includes that big okay. time. In fact, um, it, there's definitely some scattering beforehand. The, the restoration. So the story of the restoration is, is really messy. Uh, you know, from 1829 all the way to 1844, That uh, it, it's, it's messy for a number of reasons. And, uh, but when you start getting a few pieces, you know, like when you're putting together a puzzle, you dump all the pieces on the table, some are turned over and and it's just a big mess. It's, you can't see anything. And it takes a lot of time to search and sort out and flip all the pieces over and to start trying to see how they fit. And sometimes, you know, especially with the scriptures, when you're putting those puzzles together, you think you're fitting pieces together and they don't really go together. Uh, but it's not until you get 20 more pieces together, you're like, oh, these two don't actually go here. They go over here. Um, but it takes takes more and more putting those pieces together so uh a lot of this starts with putting the scriptures together in my opinion because the scriptures you know jesus calls them the rock you know which is his rock his gospel and joseph said that you know we to we need to measure things against the scriptures um so that we can catch impostors you know those who come to us and preach concepts contrary to the bible book more doctrine covenants uh, set, set that man down as an imposter. That's from Times and Seasons in, I think, March 15th, 1844. So th- it's important to use the scriptures to put the pieces together, which is why I like to go to the scriptures more than the quotes. But the quotes are easier, they're a little more accessible, they're more succinct, and they're a little more straightforward, because these guys had already unsolved the mysteries, and then they could just talk about them. Yeah. Uh, so I do love using them, for that matter. But uh, But the scriptures are the ones that I think are really the most powerful. So in that regard, sorry, long answer to your question, but the scattering of the servants was something that happened during the 1830s when we're seeing uh, those who started out as really great and faithful to to leave and apostatize. And I think when we tell the story, I, th- I think we do a little bit of a disservice to uh, just cast them off as being apostate and prideful and unfaithful. Um, we have such a small picture of what was going on and um, but the Lord does chastise them. And, and we see that in the Doctrine and Covenants. Uh, But then after the death of Joseph Smith, and by the way, the death of Joseph Hiram and Samuel is part of that scattering. And we have even more scattering after that, you know, only, only 4,000 saints followed Brigham to Utah. And there were 12,000 in Nauvoo and there were maybe 20,000 or whatever around the United States. So, so there was a huge fracturing that occurred there.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I I've been fascinated lately about um just kind of like just the secession crisis and like how people broke off and they it's not like they apostatized when they broke off. They just kind of like did they were doing their best, right? They were they were following what they thought they should they still believe in the book of Mormon. And now we've got a ton of branches. Like I always think of that, um, that graphic, that's like the tree. It's like a family tree and it has all the branches of Mormonism coming off. Right. And I, I'm just super curious about them. Like I want to talk to all of them, but i am just, I was just wondering if that had anything to do with the servants getting scattered. Absolutely. Cool. Thank you. Um, I want to ask you about the patriarchal blessing that Joseph Smith got. Um, if there's a natural way to get there, that's great. We can keep talking about the scriptures or if that's if it's a good time, I just want to make oh, sure. Oh, we could
1: definitely, that. we could definitely do it. I'd love to okay. just kind of bounce around. Cause at the end of the day, this is going to be so deep that, um, that we'll never cover it all. So it'd be fun just to kind of touch on what we can and, and just be question based. So are you referring to the one by his father that yeah. I referenced a couple of times on the page? Uh-huh. So there are, there are three, there are three really important blessings to look at um two from his father one is known as his his like v patriarchal blessing and it's longer one that's a a patriarchal blessing that might have been longer but uh but joseph says well and tons of stuff were said that i can't write at this time or won't write at this time and and that one's really brief and that was the, one of the i think that's the most recent post i did on the page and uh so so since they both could potentially be his patriarchal blessing, I think the one, since the, the one is more fully recorded, uh, then, then that one's worth more talking about. Uh, but since the other one's super short, um, then I'll just read that real quick, and then we'll go to the other one. Because they're both, they're both by his father, by Father Smith, who was an ordained patriarch over the church. And the, the one here... Uh, is the later one, which was given in January 1836. The the fuller longer one is given in December 1834. So that one does come first, uh, but since this one is so much shorter, we'll just pull it up okay. here. So in, in January 1836, uh, Joseph and uh, other members of the First Presidency and, uh, and High Council are gathered together, and Father Smith um, is blessing them, each of them, and so Joseph says, I then took the seat, and Father anointed my head, and sealed upon me the blessings of Moses to lead Israel in the latter days, even as Moses led him in days of old, and that, of course, corresponds with what we read in section 103, that the Lord would raise up a man just like Moses to lead children of Israel, so, and then after that, he says many more things, but no details Uh, so that one's really interesting and then we jump to this quote here so let's pull down the one so from the earlier one 1834. here we go so It's pretty long. won't read the whole thing. I'm just going to read some highlights from it. Yeah, that's great. So some of the highlights here, I'll pull them up on the screen so you can follow along with me. Thanks. So first line, Joseph, my son, I lay my hands upon thy head in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to confirm upon thee a Father's blessing. Okay, so as we scroll down, lots of awesome stuff. By the way, you can find anyone listening to this, you can find this really easily on your own on the Joseph Smith papers. If you just Google Joseph Smith's Patriarchal Blessing, December 9, 1834, it will probably be the very first reference in that search. Um, But uh, I will also be sending these to Ryan so that they'll be available in the show notes. Yep, we'll put them up. So so you can read the whole thing, it's super awesome. Uh, We scroll down here and we have this idea of joseph um right here i bless thee with the blessings of thy father joseph the son of jacob behold he looked after his posterity in the last days when they should be scattered and driven by the gentiles and wept before the lord he sought diligently to know from whence the son should come who should bring forth the word of the lord the son not the son of God, the son of his seed, who would bring forth the word of the Lord, by which they might be enlightened and brought back to the true fold. And his eyes beheld thee, my son. Now, that, that reference already is important because it points to Ezekiel. It points to Isaiah. It points to so many references of the person who would come and bring forth the word to bring them back to the true fold. His eyes beheld thee, my son his heart rejoiced and his soul was satisfied. And he said, as my blessings are to extend to the utmost bounds of everlasting hills, as my father's blessing prevailed above the blessings of his progenitor, as my branches are to run over the wall and my seed to inherit the choice land run Zion of God. shall stand in the last days. There's about Zion again from among my seed scattered with the Gentiles. Here it is from among my seed shall a choice seer arise. Now this is quoting. This is really similar to what he, what Joseph says in JST Genesis chapter 50 and also how Lehi quotes from it. and We'll get to that here probably right after this, how Lehi quotes from that very same prophecy in 2 Nephi chapter 2. So here Father Smith is now uh, tapping into that through revelation to this blessing. What Joseph saw and said, Shall a choice here arise? And he saw Joseph, he says whose bowels shall be as a fountain of truth—that phrase is very important—bowels being a fountain of truth, because that points to some important scriptures—whose loins girded with the girdle of righteousness—Isaiah reference again—whose Hand, Hands hands shall be lifted with acceptance before God of Jacob, to turn away his anger from his anointed—that's another Isaiah reference—to ask God to turn his anger away from his people—whose heart shall meditate great wisdom, whose intelligence shall circumscribe and comprehend the deep things of God, and whose mouth shall utter the law of the just, another Isaiah reference. His feet shall stand upon the neck of his enemies, another Isaiah reference. Now, I say all this because Isaiah is so extremely important, and those who dive into Isaiah realize that there is a servant mentioned in Isaiah who's supposed to come forth, and that servant in Isaiah is this servant, Joseph. His feet, now look at this, his feet shall stand upon the neck of his enemies and walk upon the ashes of those who seek his destruction. Joseph did not do that. Joseph has not done that. So how, how and when is he going to do that if he doesn't come back? Um, and then skip a little head. And though the wicked mar him for a little season, and this is interesting because that's another Isaiah reference of the marred servant. Though the wicked mar him for a little season, so the wicked do prevail and murder him, he shall be like one rising up in the heat of wine. Rising up, coming back. He shall roar in his strength, and the Lord put to flight his persecutors, He shall be blessed like the fruitful olive, and the first ripe grapes like a sheaf, fully ripe, gathered into the garner. So shall I stand before the Lord, having produced a hundredfold. Okay, so therefore, my son, I know for a surety that these will be fulfilled. And I confirm all these blessings. Well, they haven't been fulfilled. He hasn't done that yet. And then look at this. Thou shalt like to do the work which the Lord shall command thee. Thou shalt hold the keys of this ministry, both in time and in eternity. That's important because of a question that you had posed about in in our conversation before that we'll get to later, section 113. Look at this reference. This is another end time reference. Thou shalt speak the word of the Lord and the earth shall tremble. Has not happened yet. The mountains shall move and the rivers turn out of their course. Hasn't happened yet. And that has a type and shadow from Enoch in the book of Moses and JST Genesis chapter 14. Thou shalt escape the edge of the sword. That didn't happen. He was killed by the sword or murdered with a weapon his sword is just a metaphor for weapon and put to flight the armies of the wicked armies he has not put to flight any armies at thy word the lame shall walk the deaf shall hear blind shall see and then here look at this one thou shalt be gathered to zion and in the goodly land thou shalt enjoy thine inheritance did not happen Uh, skip ahead a little bit and he ends it with this very Undeniable reference thou shalt stand upon the earth when it shall reel to and fro as a drunken man. We all know that that prophecy hasn't been fulfilled yet. We are all waiting because that's part of the signs of the second coming. We're waiting for that to happen. That's pointed out in the of Covenants in Matthew 24 especially with the JST Matthew 24. So Joseph is supposed to be standing on the earth when that happens. This is before the second coming. That doesn't happen after the second coming. So this is not the resurrection of the just. So when, when, when these protractors come in and say, oh, well, this is just talking about the Joseph, gets he comes back to the second coming and he'll be in Zion and all these other people. No, this is very specific reference time-wise. Uh, Thou shalt stand when the mighty judgments go forth to the destruction of the wicked. Okay, so again, same timetable. The great and dreadful day of the lord he said he'll stand on the earth thou shalt stand on mount zion when the tribes of jacob come shouting from the north so that's the restoration of the ten tribes and with thy brethren the sons of ephraim crown them in the name of jesus christ thou shalt see thy redeemer come in the clouds of heaven so he'll be on the earth and he'll see jesus come in the clouds of heaven and with the just receive the hallowed throng with shouts of hallelujahs praise the lord amen So this blessing from Father Smith has more references that weren't fulfilled than it has references that were fulfilled.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So it implies that he's got to come back. Yeah, either that or his father was
1: speaking falsely. And you could make that argument, and I definitely know some people that have. Um, Or that it was recorded badly, but to record that many things that are... So as you, as you start to study uh, these prophecies in the Doctrine and Covenants, in Isaiah, in Matthew 24, in Ezekiel, and Jeremiah, Daniel, uh, Malachi, uh, all these prophecies of the last days, uh, there are so many references here that point to them. Now, Isaiah really packs so many of them in, which is why it's such a great reference and why Jesus said, Great are the words of Isaiah, I command you to search that diligently. He did not command us to search any individual prophets words diligently. He only said, Search the scriptures diligently and search Isaiah diligently. Um, So, so Isaiah is so important because as you get familiar with Isaiah, these types of references pop out like crazy, lots of subtle little phrases that like, wait a minute, Isaiah says that all over the place, those types of things. So, so that's really interesting and fun when you're going through this. And as we read this, uh, we have, these references that help tie into some other things. Like I mentioned, the second Nephi chapter three, which is similar to and a quotation from the same prophecy in JST Genesis 50. Um, probably before we go there though, we have uh, the blessing from Oliver Cowdery. And that one has a couple other references that are also equally as undeniable and important Uh as we had here so let me pull that one up real quick uh, this happened right in between so we have december 1834 then we have september 1835 from oliver Cowdry. uh then we have january 1836 so so pretty back to back to back uh i'll pull this up here and this one is also really long and it's really incredible because well so oliver's Uh, Oliver's description here in the preface is really quite remarkable. He talks about having this really amazing spiritual experience where the heavens were open to him and he saw in vision and he heard things declared to him out of heaven. And let's pull that up here. Thanks to... Now you can also find this in the Joseph Smith papers, but I'm just pulling this on the Joseph Smith uh, Foundation page. Thanks to them for compiling so much great quotes
0: um sorry as you pull this up is that was the blessing from his dad joseph smith senior was that after the zion's camp incident or before? Uh, let's
1: see so december 1834 so we already had uh so let's pull up here let's just pull up the dates we have yeah 101. Section, so section 105 is june 22nd 1834. so so zion's camp was already going on at this point, and had already happened. Uh, and that timetable can be helpful because you know people saying, "Oh, well, this already happened." Whatever. Well, six months later, his father gives the blessing.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah, I was just wondering. Um, yeah. Like- great, great question.
1: And 101, uh, for reference, you know, was uh, in December 1833, so a whole year before. So all that happens in six months. The Lord says, well, the time for redemption of Zion isn't now, and then six months later he gets this patriarchal blessing. So yeah, great question. So here, here's the uh, preface written by Oliver Cowdery to this, uh, what he calls a blessing. Uh, The leader will remember the remarks made at the commencement of the foregoing blessings, pronounced by the first patriarch, the first elder in this church. So the the foregoing blessings, so we have um, these other blessings by Joseph, Father Smith, not just for joseph but for others as well that he had the authority to bless uh, and also there's some blessings that he's referring to here by the first patriarch joseph smith jr the first elder in the church joseph smith i said that he had the authority to bless this is so and it may be understood that those men whose names are mentioned in the blessings by his mouth had been employed had long been employed in the work of the lord myself frederick williams Sidney rigden david whitmer john whitmer john coral ww phelps so, so now he's saying after writing these blessings at the mouth of the seer, so so Oliver scribes or transcribes uh, these blessings that Joseph gave them. I greatly desired to know the mind of the spirit concerning this my brother Joseph, with whom I had labored so many years. At this point, six years, and accordingly, I besought the Lord with prayer and fasting, who opened the heavens unto me. This is significant, and thus, while in the heavenly vision. I wrote the following blessing, or you could say I wrote the following vision, but it's all concerning Joseph, which is a part, only a part, of that which was shown and declared should come upon my brother. So so this experience that Oliver has is not super different from 1 Nephi 11, where Nephi has an angel come to him and show him tons of stuff and also declare unto him tons of stuff. So he's showing him things and then explaining it. Unfortunately, we don't have... Um, the same dissemination from Oliver, what was shown him and what was told him. He just says all these things will happen to Joseph. But what's significant is finding out all of these things that haven't happened and that are also references to Isaiah, which are things that are supposed to happen. So uh, let's scroll down. We have third paragraph, this reference to being like Moses. Like Moses of old, he'll hear the voice of the Lord saying i'm the god of thy fathers abraham isaac jacob i've seen i've seen the affliction of my people and come down to deliver them go thou and here's that reference from dnc 101 go thou and say to the strength of my house to your ten so israel build up the waste places that is an isaiah reference of going and re-establishing zion and building the jerusalem build up the waste places and raise the foundation of desolation that this generation has made isaiah reference thus shall he be honored of the lord awesome So that right there hasn't happened. Let's uh, just scroll down a little bit. And there's a lot of great stuff here. Again, if you just Google um, blessing of Joseph Oliver Cowdery, September 1835, uh, the Joseph Smith Papers would be one of the first ones. And right here, for like Joseph of old shall he be. This reference is super important because the prophecy in 2 Nephi 3, Joseph says he'll be like me. And so people, some try, try and detract and say, it's not Joseph. Well, he'll be like Joseph of Egypt. So that matches Second Nephi 3. He will save the just from desolation. Another Isaiah reference, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Doctrine and Covenants, by the wise counsel of the Almighty. By his direction, they'll gather into storehouses and barns till they overflow with richness of the fruit of the harvest, Isaiah reference. All these Isaiah references are super important because it's all about the, the reestablishment of Zion. Yeah. Uh, Right here, by this means he'll save, the just will be saved from famine. While the nations of the wicked are distressed and faint. Now we know that's going to happen to them. Look at this one. In due time, he'll go forth to the north. And by the power of his word shall the deep give way and the ice melt before the sun. We know these references, or at least hopefully we do. These references of the north countries and the ice melting so that the ten tribes can return. Well, Joseph will go forth to the north. And by the power of his word shall the deep begin to give way. And the ice melt before the sun. And by the keys of the kingdom, shall he lead Israel to Zion? That is also referenced to section 35. And by the keys, shall they be led? Well, he's the one that has those keys. While the house of Jacob shouts, dance and song. And there's the song and dance that it says there. And then here's another super important Isaiah reference to one of the most important chapters in Isaiah for recognizing the servant chapter 49 which is one of the first Isaiah chapters Nephi quotes. He shall be a sure arrow or a shaft, as Isaiah says, a sure arrow in the bow of his God, bow or quiver. He shall be a sure arrow in the bow of his God, for he shall be hid under the shadow of his wing. The same verse reference, Isaiah 49, verse 2, or or 1 Nephi 21, verse 2. His loins be like iron girded by the hand of the Lord, his feet. Swift to execute the commandment of the most mighty when he shall say destroy another Isaiah reference, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Doctrine and Covenants. His name be had in everlasting remembrance. Okay, let's scroll down. Uh again, it goes on and on, and we have so many awesome things here that point to that great and dreadful day of the Lord, the destruction of the wicked, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And Behold, there is no end to the vision of the multiplicity of blessings and glories which will come upon my brother Joseph. He'll possess a mansion on high, an inheritance in that city which is like pure gold, which is even Zion. So, so really awesome, fun stuff there. So go and read that. Uh, but all of it is pointing to a work that he has not done yet and that we know will happen before Jesus comes.
0: Yeah, very interesting. Um, so... I have a question about this whole patriarchal blessing thing.
1: Yeah, let's talk about um, it.
0: Yeah, so after Joseph Smith Sr. died, didn't Hiram Hiram Smith become the patriarch? Right? That's correct. Okay. Um I've been doing some homework. In uh DNC 124, it says that the patriarch basically has like the power to seal on earth and in heaven. So like basically what he says happens right Right. so like do you think that you could use that as an argument to support that joseph smith senior was the patriarch and maybe he kind of had the same power so if he says that joseph smith has to do all these things it's gonna happen
1: i think i think it's a great argument i think it's a strong argument and i think it's uh, extremely valid and even again i always like to go back to the scriptures because um I can prove through the Scriptures and walk through the Scriptures how they all connect, and they undeniably connect with each other as long as we're willing to use sound reason and to connect like statements with each other and understand that all the Scriptures are meant to tie together and and also reason out, reason out what phrases have to mean because of their inherent meaning um, by definition and also their meaning by how the Lord uses them throughout the Scriptures. Uh, and also Isaiah, particular, because Isaiah has a particular mode of of speaking and teaching, which all the ancient prophets ye, prophets use, and Nephi makes reference to that. So all that aside, I'm always willing to take all the quotes that help make it really glaringly obvious and throw them out and say, "Let's just go with the scriptures then, and let's talk about it. Uh, but but some people like to use the cheap shot of, "Well, I've never heard that before, or that's not in a manual or the brethren have never taught that or said that, or they don't condone that or, um, they simply say, "Oh, well, that's just your interpretation." Um, but uh, Joseph, on several occasions, was really clear that that we can use our brains and, and get in and get our own inspiration to be able to see the scriptures as they are meant to be understood. Uh, Nephi says that quite clearly. Uh, Jesus says that quite clearly. Um, and so, I think it's important to be able to try and reason those things out and ask the Lord for inspiration as we do that, and not say, "Well, I have to have." the leaders of the church or a manual that's approved by the church, tell me the meaning of this stuff, especially when you want to have a really fun time and have too much time on your hands. Find out how much debate in the 15 over the decades has been over a lot of these kinds of teachings, you know, uh, in disagreement, you know, Bruce R. McConkie, probably one of the easiest examples because of how prominent he was and forthcoming he was on his teachings of doctrine and how much um, there was disagreement amongst the 15 about some of the things that he taught. So it's not really valid argument to say those things. Uh, We have to let the scriptures prove themselves, and the Lord says that he will prove them. So even if we throw out Father Smith's blessing, even if we throw out this uh, vision that Oliver had, uh, we throw out all these awesome quotes, Parley's quote, a bunch of other quotes, uh, uh, Lyman White, quotes from Joseph himself, the scriptures still hold true, but these quotes, I think after you have so many of them, there's only so much denying. It's like, well, they can't all be 100% false, maybe 10% here, 20% there, 30%, 40% uh, inaccurate in terms of how they were recorded or or how they were remembered or whatever, how they were written down. Uh, but, but at the end of the day, it's like, well, are we going to believe in the restoration? Are we going to believe in this power of God and in Revelation, etc.? Um, then the after you put so many quotes together, it's like, well, how long, how, how long are we going to deny this when it's right in front of us? Right. right. Probably longer answer than you needed. Sorry. Oh, no, that's okay.
0: That's great. Um, that's cool. I, I love those. I love those old quotes. So I want, I've made a list of like <laughs> important prophesied figures in the scriptures and other places. Mm-hmm. And I want to ask you if Joseph Smith is, are these people? Um, and we can go kind of fast if you want to go deeper into some of them, sure, yeah, um but if we've already talked about them, I think some of them you've already mentioned, so we can just say yes, we talked about that uh, so the first one is Joseph Smith the choice seer talked about in second Nephi chapter three
1: yeah, and that one is really fun uh let's let's dive in in fact, let's dive into this one right now okay. because second Nephi three is extremely debated. Uh, In fact, 2 Nephi 3 is the reference for the supposed Lamanite prophet or descendant of Lehi, Manasseh prophet that's that's supposedly going to come and do all this stuff. And he's supposedly supposed to do a lot of the similar stuff that's already been laid out by Isaiah that is supposed to be done by this other servant who's a descendant of Jesse and David. And um, there aren't there aren't two servants doing the exact same thing at the same time. That's just, that's ridiculous. I mean, with all due respect to those who believe it, it is ridiculous. That's not how it works. Now, you can have a scripture refer to multiple servants at the same time like Isaiah does, but those are different time periods at the same time. Isaiah can speak and refer to David and Hezekiah and John the Baptist and Joseph Smith all in one verse, because as Jesus said, well, all the things that he said have been and shall be like It's a multi layered prophecy, and that's the genius of the way the Lord works. But it's not one verse talking about the same year in 2025 or whenever that it gets fulfilled 2030, 2022, whatever. And two guys are doing the same work. The two guys are gathering, are leading the gathering of the 10 tribes. Now, I'm not saying there's not multiple people doing the work. I'm talking about multiple people leading, like being the head. You can't have the head. For gathering the 10 tribes and another the head for gathering the 10 tribes there's one head to okay. gather the 10 tribes and so um, with that said uh, let's do a quick jump in to second nephi 3 because it is so hotly contested i just want to point out a couple of things one i'm going to point out that second nephi 3 is literally the same as jst genesis 50 which is important because a lot of people point to 2 Nephi 3 and say, well, this is Lehi prophesying. like, no, it's Lehi reading Joseph of Egypt. And, And that's where the confusion comes in. They read a prophecy, a statement from Joseph of Egypt. They think it's Lehi prophesying because he's the one reading it to his son, Joseph of Lehi. And they don't understand that it's not Lehi Lehi's words. It's Lehi speaking, but he's just reading. And once we realize that, which I thought was really apparent, but but it can be hidden and part of that honestly has to do with the verse breakup in our scriptures when we have the chapter and verse breakdowns we lose connection between statements and phrases that, that are a little bit more obvious when they were just in large paragraph form of the original book of mormon yeah. so you grab original book of mormon and you read it it's a little bit easier to see and i so i've diagrammed this out uh, but before i show the diagram um, i'm going to just i have here side by side oh let's pull it up where is it okay here it is so here's second nephi three lehi says okay i'm speaking to you my son joseph our, our father of old joseph who was carried into egypt captive he spoke about these things he saw our day and he also saw the end days and he starts quoting from it now i have here side by side jst genesis 50 Let's do this. and let's get JST Genesis 50 here. Now JST Genesis 50 starts talking about Moses for a minute. You know, we start in verse 24, 25, Moses, Moses. And then it's not until uh, it's not until verse So 25 it says they'll be scattered again. And then 26, we have another seer, a seer shall the Lord God raise up who shall be a choice seer to the fruit of my loins. All right. So when we come down here, we have verse six, Joseph truly testified, Joseph of Egypt saying, a seer shall the Lord raise up. who will be a choice seer to the fruit of my loins. That right there should be clue. The only clue needed to say, oh, Lehi is clearly reading. JST Genesis 50 off of the brass plates. Not that it was listed like that on the brass plates. Clearly, I'm not an idiot. But, but on the brass plates, this prophecy that's JST Genesis 50, Lehi's reading it off the brass plates to his son. And p- comparing verse 6 to 26 tells us that. And then look at verse 7. Thus says the Lord to me, So, a choice seer will I raise up by the fruit of thy loins, and he'll be esteemed highly among the fruit of thy loins. Here's verse 27. Same thing. choice here, raise up through thy loins, they will be esteemed highly. So, and I can go on and on, but the reader can do that themselves and just pull them up side by side, or the listener can pull them up side by side and see that Lehi's quoting it. All right. Now, interestingly, I'll just jump here to verse 9 and 10, which isn't here in JST Genesis 50 as in the exact same way, but similar. He shall be great like unto Moses, who I said I would raise up unto you, to deliver my people, the house of Israel. And Moses will I raise up to deliver thy people out of the land of Egypt. So he'll be great like to Moses, like unto Moses to deliver my people." So that's just like section 103, saying, I'll raise up a man like unto Moses to deliver my people. It's just like the Father's blessing, where he says, I give you the, the blessings of Moses to lead the children of Israel in the last days, just like he led them anciently. Um, just like Jeremiah 23, I'll raise up this uh, son of David who will uh, lead the children of Israel from all around the world not of the north countries. all right. And then verse 29, it's a little bit more expansive. I'll make him great in mine eyes. He'll do my work. Great. He'll be great like unto him who I said I would raise up unto you. So it doesn't say Moses here, but in 2 Nephi 3 it says Moses out of the land of Egypt. For a seer will I raise up to deliver out of Egypt, and he shall be called Moses. And by this name he'll be know these of thy house, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So verse 29 is a little bit different from verses 9 and 10 in 2 Nephi 3. So we see a little bit of difference, but it's basically all the same. And we go on and on, but let's just pull this up here. So this is my breakdown, and I think it's extremely important. Uh, So you see on this page here, all of 2 Nephi 3. And I broke it down kind of like a script in a place you can see who's talking when and quoting whom. So if I zoom in, you see Lehi in the black text, speaking to his son Joseph, and he says all these things, and he's talking about Joseph of Egypt, etc., etc., and then he s- starts to quote Joseph of Egypt, for Joseph truly testified, saying, and here's the words of Joseph of Egypt in blue, a seer shall God raise up, and then we have Lehi saying, yea, Joseph truly said, and then he keeps quoting him, and then this is where people mess up. Verse 11, thus saith the Lord unto me, people think Lehi is saying that, no, Lehi's reading that. That's Joseph, because the phrase before, yea, Joseph truly said, thus saith the Lord unto me. So now in red is the Lord speaking to Joseph of Egypt. So the Lord speaking to Joseph of Egypt says, a choice seer will I raise up out of the fruit of thy loins. So people are thinking the Lord's saying this to Lehi, and they think that Lehi has a seer coming out of the fruit of his loins. And so we, are, we should be looking for this Lamanite prophet. No, no, this is a choice seer, the same choice seer that's already mentioned. He'll be esteemed highly, et cetera, et cetera. And then you see all this. Let me just back up. So all of this is the Lord speaking to Joseph of Egypt. Now, this phrase that I've highlighted here is going to connect to your next question. He'll be made strong. We have references of mighty and strong all throughout here. And then Lehi says again, thus prophesied Joseph. So Lehi just keeps saying, yeah, he goes on. Because if you zoom out, you can see that Joseph keeps talking. So here's more in blue from Joseph of Egypt. And then Joseph of Egypt again. And then the lord to joseph of egypt over and over again so you get this idea and look here at the end all in black lehi summarizing everything and that follows the pattern that we read everywhere in scriptures and it's a good teaching pattern introduction here's the body summary so that it makes sense people say that once we get to 22 well he's for sure talking about something different no he's summarizing it and now behold my son joseph after this manner did my father old prophesy wherefore because of this covenant of the Lord having a choice seer come to save you, um, your descendants, you are blessed, for your seed won't be destroyed. They'll, be, they'll hearken to the words of the book, and there, shall, and there shall rise up one mighty among them, so now there's mighty and strong here in this whole reference, who will do much good. Now, it says among them, so people say, oh, well, among them must mean among, there must be a Lamanite, because it's among his seed. Well, no, among doesn't mean a descendant of lehi among them just means among uh, because we clearly have to combine this with everything else in scripture and this person is a descendant of joseph and ephraim which ties to section 113 so as all the scriptures tie together it can't be a lamanite in fact nephi's vision helps debunk this in first nephi 12 through 14 he sees the gentiles come and save the Lamanites, the descendants of, of Lehi. Well, the Gentiles are the Ephraimites. Ephraim brings the Book of Mormon out and save because Ephraim is blessed by his father Joseph to save uh, all the rest of the House of Israel, including his brother Manasseh. That's Ephraim's blessing and duty. So Ephraim is the one that does that. So there's no there is no Lamanite prophet. And I know this will make a lot of people. Mad and for those that haven't ever heard of it, will probably just shrug their shoulders. But this breaks it down, you can see it visually, and so looking over it is really fun. And then comparing it to JST Genesis 50, so you can see that Lehi is literally reading off the plates of brass. The only words that are Lehi's are the, these ones in black. So, and, and any questions about that, or is that uh, confusing, or do you want to challenge any of those? I'd love to talk more about it.
0: No, that's great, I, I just wanted to point out that I had never heard of the, the Lamanite prophet until just like this year. So I don't think it's a common, I don't think it's a common doctrine or belief. It's definitely
1: not mainstream, but once you start getting into a lot of last days research and prophecy and studying and whatnot, you definitely come across it because you start to look at this, for example, second Nephi three, makes that reference to being like moses it also makes reference to um confounding enemies and and never and and overcoming them well joseph and but joseph didn't do all these things yet and so some people say well therefore it can't be joseph but look at this this is the part that that most latter-day saints understand his name so joseph of egypt is speaking it's in blue his name shall be called after me and it will be after the name of his father that is not someone else God is not going to do this twice in terms of two different people. He is going to do it twice in terms of sending Joseph twice, but it's the same person both times. Uh, so he's telling us who the identity is, his name's going to be Joseph, and his father's name's going to be Joseph, and it's going to be after me. And then Father Smith in the patriarchal blessing says, um, Joseph of Egypt, look to the last days, and he saw you as the choice seer. And so Father Smith makes it absolutely plain. And then Oliver Cowdery, same thing. And then look right here. Here's the statement, the very next statement here in 2 Nephi 3, and he shall be like unto me. And that's what Oliver says. You'll be like Joseph of Egypt. So how is he like Moses? By pulling the children out of bondage, a temporal bondage from the Antichrist. How is he like Joseph of Egypt? He saves his 12 brothers from destruction, from famine, from pestilence. So, so Joseph does both those things he is like Moses and then he's like Joseph of Egypt by fulfilling that same type. So Joseph of Egypt and and his 12 brothers, Joseph Smith and the 12 tribes that have to be gathered back in.
0: Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I just know I've heard um, like David Whitmer was big on the, on the Lamanite prophet. And I think some of the other, some of the other branches of the restoration, I've heard them talk about it on podcasts and such.
1: I haven't heard of the David Whitmer one, but I have heard Orson Hyde or Orson Pratt, excuse me. Um, I'd be interested to find the David Whitmer reference.
0: Yeah, that's where I I actually, yeah, I'll look for it. That's actually where I learned about it because I had never heard of it. Um, And he kind of uses that same argument that um, like a lot of these things, Joseph never accomplished. And so it has to be someone else. So,
1: right. And David had a little bit different perspective than like Parley did. But Parley said, well, I got this revelation because he couldn't put it together, you know.
0: Yeah, cool. Um, Okay, so the next one, and I think you've touched on this, so it it could be a short answer, but is Joseph Smith the servant in the vineyard mentioned in Jacob chapter 5?
1: Yeah, so the Jacob chapter 5 servant uh, is really fun because it matches the same idea. You clearly see the discussion of the restoration in there. But then what's a little bit more veiled is in Jacob chapter 5, from 49 all the way to 70, 73, there is a veiled reference of two comings of that servant. So when we look, now let's pull that back up again. Here's Jacob 5. So as we look through it, there's, it's so easy to get lost because these verses are dense, and they're dense with metaphor and references that we're not familiar with because most of us have not worked in vineyards and grafting trees. Uh, And I think if we had grown up doing that kind of thing, we wouldn't get quite as lost in the metaphor. Uh, But even then, I still think it could be possible because it's really dense with metaphor. But if you can skip through the metaphor and just look for some of the like summary phrases and whatnot, then uh, then that's what helps us point it out. So verse 49, we have this idea, okay, this vineyard's toast, let's go down and destroy it. And the servant says, Well, wait, let me let me intervene and spare the vineyard. And the Lord agrees. And then the Lord gives him instructions. So 52 to 54, the Lord instructs what to do. So by stepping back and taking the macro view, we have a little bit better understanding. So don't get lost in all of the uh, metaphors. Those are great and everything, and that's that's for a separate study. But just to look at this, is it Joseph? then we can look at these things. So 52 to 54, the Lord gives instructions on what to do. And then 55 and 56, really briefly, and, and this is appropriate, they did it, past tense. The Lord gives instructions and it says, and it came to pass, it happened, that they did what he said. They took from the natural tree and blah, blah, blah. And they also da, 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 da. So it's just a quick summary of the things that, 52 to 54, all those long instructions, 55 and 56, and it came to pass, it happened. And that's the restoration, the first restoration. And it's fitting that it's brief because it was cut short, as the parable of the redemption of Zion points out. So the next three, four verses, 57 to 60, the Lord says, we will go again. We will go again. That's the beginning of verse 58. And we will nourish again, a second time. We will nourish again the trees of the vineyard. So that means they did nourish it. And then we'll do it again. And that it will be the last time. This I will do the last time. He, he says in here, so... 61 to 69 then is the long drawn out plan that's easy to get lost in as you're reading it because they're long verses and they're dense, they're thick uh, with all this metaphor. But if you just step back and, and look briefly just at the beginning phrases and whatnot, you're like, oh, these are all instructions for this last time that he just mentioned. So you get all the way to 69 and he finishes the instructions. And then 70 says, and it came to pass that he sent his servant. Now, 70 is the most on the nose, so we think that's the beginning of the restoration because it finally says he sent his servant. However, earlier, 55 and 56, it says they did it. It came to pass that they did it, and then all these instructions, and then it came to pass that he sent his servant. So it is veiled, and it's supposed to be veiled. Just like Jesus says, why why do you speak in parables? Why? And he says, so that only those who have eyes to see and ears to hear will understand and it's not supposed to be so veiled that you can never find it it's supposed to be just thinly enough veiled so that you have to want it you have to ask for it but once someone points it out to you and you're willing to have your notions challenged or your traditions challenged then you're like oh you're right it does say it happened it does give out a plan and say we'll go again which means the second time that's what again means uh, and then it says that he sent his servant and then look that corresponds with D&C 10155 because he sent the servant and then he brought other servants just like 101.55, go and get the residue of the servants. And then it talks about how they then prune the vineyard for the last time after that, which is the second restoration or the second half of the restoration, honestly, because uh, the restoration wasn't complete in that uh, 15-year period, 1829,
0: 1844. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I, maybe you can answer this. I, you were So there's a scripture somewhere where it says like, I will set my hand again the second time.
1: Oh, perfect. Glad you mentioned it.
0: Yeah. What scripture is that? And does it have anything- Isaiah
1: 11? And this is one. So I love Abraham Gileadi. I love his work. I just absolutely love it. I dig it. I read his books. I read his stuff all the time. I tell people to go read it, but this is the one thing where we disagree and about Joseph Smith being this servant in Isaiah. And I think Isaiah 11. So he, I don't know. I I don't know what he thinks about all those quotes. And maybe he hasn't dived into them. You know, the father's blessing from Father Smith, and and Oliver's Calgary, Oliver Oliver's grandiose vision, Parley P Pratt's statement, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and other ones we haven't gone into. Um, but I think Isaiah chapter 11 is a fabulous reference because uh, Avraham makes very clear that Isaiah is all about these metaphors that are essentially pseudonyms or code names or code words that mean more than just what's on the surface. So, um, in chapter 11, let's read that real quick, and by the way, this is quoted several times over in the Book of Mormon because the Book of Mormon prophets understood it. Um, And, okay, so 11, let's go over one more chapter. So that's 10. Ugh, the site's down. Okay, so that, I was just trying. To, I was trying to read the. I was trying to read the reference from his translation, but it's fine. That we can read it from the King James Version. It's just just, um. It's just as good to read it because the, the case is pretty clear. Okay, Isaiah chapter eleven. So verse, ten and eleven. In that day. And this is the day of destruction and et cetera, et cetera, that he's talking about here of the Antichrist. In that day, there shall be a root of Jesse. And this ties into section 113, which I think we're going to next, which shall stand for an enzyme of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek and his rest shall be glorious. Now, that's another phrase that we found in the blessings. His rest shall be glorious because his rest is the rest of the servant. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria, from Egypt, etc., etc. So, the Lord's hand in Isaiah is always a metaphor for either the evil servant of destruction, the Antichrist, who he usually calls the king of Assyria or the king of Babylon, because anciently those two figures did that. Or his hand, his righteous hand, which is the servant that does his righteous work. So here he's clearly talking about the righteous servant. So if we're going to follow that standard that, you know, the, the Isaiah Institute standard that Avram Gileadi points out, and I think he proves that his interpretation about the hand being the servant is hundred percent accurate and legit. So if that's the case, then we have to read verse 11 and say, it'll come to pass in that day that the Lord will set his servant again the second time, to recover the remnant of his people. Well, it's like, well, that means when this Isaiah servant shows up, it's not his first time, it's his second time, if that interpretation is accurate. And again, I think Avraham Gileadi does a perfect job pointing out through all of his writings and works that that metaphor is solid, and it is reiterated by Nephi, it is reiterated by Jacob, it is reiterated Um, by Jesus in the Revelations of the Doctrine and Covenants about his hand or his arm. The Lord uses both interchangeably throughout Isaiah, his hand and his arm. So, yeah, good good call there. And Isaiah chapter 1 has another reference like that. Now, uh, the Isaiah Institute, which that one is down. Actually, maybe I can pull it up on my app. They have a great app to use, by the way, which I will highly recommend to everybody. Okay, so, okay, the app's not down. Perfect. So in Isaiah chapter one, we read 25 and 26, and it says a similar thing. The King James says, I will turn my hand upon thee and purely purge away thy dross, but Avraham's clearer translation from the uh, Masoretic text from the Dead Sea Scrolls says, I will restore my hand over you. And then verse 26, I will restore your judges and your counselors as at the first and in the beginning. At the first and beginning of what? That's the big question. Well, if we are, again, using this verse 25, I will restore my hand. Well, my hand is my servant. I will restore my servant over you. That means the servant was already here. So he's got to restore him, send him back. And then verse 25, this ties into uh, 101, verse 55, where he says, go get the residue of the servants, the ones that were scattered, the ones that were already there and working with the main servant. Go and gather them and then go get the strength of the house well that's restoring your judges and counselors as in the beginning at the first at the first of this mission at the beginning of this mission when was that 1829 was the first at the first it was at the first or the beginning and he clarifies the first by saying in the beginning so the beginning of this mission to recover his people that's why he's sending his hand or his servant the second time because the first time failed And the Lord knew it would fail, and that's why he gave the parable of the redemption of Zion, saying look, this is what, this is how Zion gets redeemed. Y'all go, you try and get this thing done, you don't do everything I say, so it fails, the enemy takes over, then I send the one servant back, and the residue of the servants, so not all of them, residue, uh, and then they go back and redeem Zion, and they scatter the enemies that have the walls around the vineyard and the tower, etc.
0: So do you think that more than just joseph smith are going to come back like oliver Cowdery. those that were with him at the beginning to think they're going to come back too
1: well i i wouldn't be able to say who but uh if 10155 55 is if, if the servant is joseph and it says go gather the residue of the servants and that's referring to the servants that were at the beginning of the parable mm-hmm. then it's got to be some group of them residue means what's left um and so who knows who knows who that is? Uh, but you know, you could start with a, a group of the servants that that were faithful um, and that were awesome. You know, yeah, you could say maybe the three witnesses, maybe Sidney Rigdon, maybe uh, Frederick G. Williams. Uh, some of these men, Father Smith, maybe Hiram. You know, who knows? You could you could just postulate and say maybe, 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 and go down the long list. Uh, all of Joseph's brothers or uh, all the members of the high council, uh, members of the 12 apostles, you know, but it's residue. So we don't know how many, right? And section 88 is is really interesting because at the beginning of 88, so here's verse 80, but the beginning of 88, to some of the members in Kirtland, now these are members of the high council, uh, members of who had received the, uh, high priest and we're in the members of the holy order and we have a really good message at the beginning uh, it's pleasing unto the Lord, the angels rejoice over you, etc, cetera, etc cetera. Um, he says I'm giving you the promise to return on life here To etc, cetera, etc cetera. so a lot of really great stuff being be in this section and we also have reference to oh, where is it Oh, no, not there. Uh, laborers. There it is. So, verse 70, we scroll down. Those who are the first laborers in this last kingdom, the first ones, um, those who are the first laborers in this last kingdom, a commandment to assemble yourselves together, organize yourselves, do all these things, and do all these things so I can do all this and this and this and this. Verse 80. So that ye may be prepared in all things when I send you again to magnify the calling where I've called you. Send you again. Send you a second time. So that is this notion of again in Jacob 5 or a second time in Isaiah 11. So that's referring to these first laborers in the last kingdom, this first group of servants. So uh, I believe the answer to your question is yes. uh, And we could have a fun time postulating who might be among that group.
0: Oh it's very interesting. That's yeah. It's hard to explain those all those agains agains in the second times to that's that's cool. Um, okay, so I think you've answered this one already. Is Joseph Smith the servant in, in the parable in DNC 101?
1: Yes, yeah, so we answered that at the beginning 101 with 103 commentary. Um, and he would have to be just because he sends a servant to go and get this whole thing going or he sends servants to do it. Um, And we know that Joseph was the lead servant when that happened because we understand the history of the restoration and we believe it and we have testimonies of it. And then he goes and calls one of those servants and he says, hey, go get the residue of the servants and go redeem Zion. And then in 103, he says, Joseph is the man I likened to that servant. So absolutely.
0: Awesome. Um, Okay, you kind of mentioned the next one is joseph smith the one mighty and strong that's mentioned in i think it's dnc 85.
1: yeah so if if the answer is yes and people would say no it's got to be someone else well we look at the prophecy of uh, joseph from egypt that's quoted in second nephi 3 and he said he will be strong and he will be mighty uh, and then other references but We look here and look at verse 7. I, the Lord God, will send one mighty and strong holding the scepter of power in his hand, which is a a reference to what 113 says, which helps tie it back to Isaiah, which ties it back to Joseph Smith. Clothed with light for a covering. That's another Isaiah reference. So it's got to be the same servant as Isaiah, whose mouth shall utter words eternal words. Now we read that from Oliver and his father while his bowels shall be a fountain of truth. We read that from Oliver and his father. And then here it is, to set in order the house of God. And then the next part was specific reference to Zion, which Joseph is in charge of, and to arrange by lot the inheritances of the saints, whose names are found. So these inheritances are inheritances in Zion, enrolled in the book of the law of God. So all these links point to uh, that same person and that person uh, has to be joseph smith
0: awesome yeah it's uh it's amazing how many word links there are when you're looking for them i right i've recently been my eyes have been open to those and it's it's cool okay next one um is joseph smith the servant mentioned in dnc 113 i think you've covered this one too
1: uh, we didn't get to cover it, but we did refer to it. So now we'll go into it just a little bit more. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Let's do that.
1: So we have two questions here and, and I'm going to explain the mystery of why some people say, no, he can't be. Um, referring to Isaiah 11, which is where we were quoting, we read Isaiah 11, 10 and 11, but this is going to ask about the beginning of Isaiah. What's the rod spoken of in the first, uh, in the first verse of Isaiah 11? Who will come from the stem of Jesse? The Lord explains it's a servant in the hands of Christ, who's partly descendant of Jesse or House of David, as well as Ephraim, or the House of Joseph, on whom there is laid much power. Now all these quotes and scriptures are talking about this servant having power, like the eighty-five reference, the, the the blessings from Father Smith and Oliver Cowdery. And then, what's the root of Jesse? spoken of in the 10th verse of the 11th chapter. Thus saith the Lord, it's a descendant of Jesse as well as Joseph, unto whom rightly belongs the priesthood and the keys of the kingdom for an ensign and for the gathering of my people in the last days. Well, this interpretation was not lost on the early saints, especially the fellow laborers with Joseph, that that was Joseph Smith. And the reason they sound so similar is because it's referring to the same man, Joseph Smith, but the Lord keeps it thinly veiled because it's not supposed to be on the nose. It's not supposed to be. This is a mystery. In, and this actually points to the two ministries. Isaiah 11 starts out talking about Joseph's first ministry, which when you read about um, the rod, a rod is this shoot that a tree has fallen, and you have a shoot come up, and that shoot doesn't produce any fruit. It can't, but you can graft a branch into that shoot. And that branch can produce fruit. It's just the nature of these trees and whatnot and how, how we get fruit. So, Joseph Smith's first ministry or first half of his mission, 1829, 1844, it failed just like Moses' mission failed to get those saints or the children of Israel up to the next level. And that's what DNC 84 is trying to talk about. 84 is the revelation where the Lord says, You're all under condemnation. And in that revelation, He says, you're all just like the children of Israel under Moses, where he tried to sanctify them so that they could behold the face of God. And they wouldn't. They hardened their hearts. And so the Lord swore in his wrath that they wouldn't enter his presence. And he took Moses out of their midst, and he took the holy priesthood also. And that was a type and shadow to come if the saints would do the same thing. Joseph wrote a letter to W.W. Phelps, followed up by a letter from Hiram and Orson Hyde to all the other leaders in Zion, saying, you guys are not understanding this. The Lord, if you do not repent and return, the Lord will swear in his wrath to you that you won't enter into his rest and he will seek another people. Well, long story short, it didn't produce all the proper fruit. The mission, the mission failed somewhat. And that's what we read in section 101. The mission fails somewhat. The servants falter and fail and come short of what they were supposed to do and the enemy takes over. And so he sends them back. So when we get down to verse 10 and 11 in Isaiah, Chapter 11, the servant, the same servant is sent back. I'll set my hand again the second time. So he's saying right there, that person that was the rod, I send him back. And this time he is the root of Jesse. He's the branch, which is the clearer translation, the branch that gets grafted in. He's the branch that brings forth the fruit, which is why he describes them both, the descendant of Jesse as well as Joseph or Ephraim. Now, verse 6 has to be Joseph, because these references here, to whom rightly belongs the priesthood, is clearly identified in, as Joseph in section 86. The very last couple of verses of section 86 identify Joseph Smith as that person. And and then also the keys of the kingdom is identified as Joseph all over the place in Doctrine and Covenants, and Father Smith said that in his patriarchal blessing. And then for an enzyme for the gathering of my people, this enzyme or the standard is the messenger of the last days referred to all over Isaiah and reiterated in DNC 45 and the gathering of my people. We've already talked about the gathering of the people and who's supposed to be in charge of that. Joseph's supposed to be in charge of that. Um, So Joseph is both these people. It's veiled like this because Joseph comes twice. It's and it, so at the time they didn't understand it. And let's just jump back real quick to section 101 at the end of the parable. We didn't read this yet. We get to the end of the parable. The Lord tells the servant to go and redeem my vineyard, scatter the enemies that are there, throw down their tower, scatter their watchmen over this vineyard. And then verse 59, here it is. Here's the key. The servant says to the Lord, when shall these things be? When does all this happen? And this is in the parable. And the Lord puts it in the parable so that we can now see that the servant didn't understand when they all happened and the Lord's answer. And he said to his servant, when I will go and do the things I commanded you. Joseph Smith did not understand that he had to come back a second time until he was about to die. And he knew he was going to die. That's when he understood he had to come back. And we get the reference when he's speaking to the Nauvoo Legion, I'll come to you again as soon as I can. He says that at least according to the few records that we have of that speech that's on his way to Carthage. He's on his way to Carthage. It's just days before he dies. He knows he's going to die. He tells Hiram they're going to die. So they, we know that they know they're going to die. And we have this one interesting reference speaking to the Navu Legion. I'll come to you again as soon as I can. And we also have a dream the night before he dies. That's really symbolic and prophetic about him coming back. Um, we can get to that later. So anyway,
0: so yeah. Wow, that's cool. I um, I have always been confused about D&C 113, always. Um, but it does make sense that Joseph Smith could be both. What was it? The the rod and the root.
1: Right, the rod and the um, root, or the shoot and the branch in the in the clearer translation. But,
0: yep. Shoot and the branch. Yeah, because the. Fr- he's the shoot one time and the branch the other time right that that makes sense that's cool um okay next one still have a couple more here um is joseph smith the davidic servant yes so
1: the davidic servant is the servant in isaiah and also mentioned elsewhere in ezekiel uh in jeremiah and um zephaniah etc uh and we just read in one thirteen of the house of Jesse and Joseph. Well, Jesse is that house of David. Right. So the Lord says he's of both lineages. And interestingly, when he comes, so we see that that's Joseph Smith and there is some interesting research and insinuations you can read in, in Jesus, the Christ, and also in the, in the, um, the dynasty of the Holy Grail, um, by by Vern Swanson, really great book. Um, they help point out and show that Joseph was actually a descendant of, of Jesus Christ, of David, of the house of Jesse. And that we know that he's of, of Joseph. We, we, see, we read that in the prophecies um, that we just read. So, one thirteen explains, yeah, he's that guy. So, that's, that's the Davidic servant. And so, he has the right to reign over the throne of Israel as a king, Ezekiel 37. Uh, And we also read in Jeremiah 23, same idea. Uh, Raise a righteous branch. There's that branch again, or the root, Um, unto David. And he will lead these tribes of Israel from the north countries, as Jeremiah 23 said. So Joseph is that same figure. All these figures
0: are one and the same. Okay, cool. Um, Okay, next question. Is Is Joseph Smith... The Messiah Ben Joseph.
1: Yes, and he's also the Messiah Ben David. And that is it's like, well, how can he be two? Well, we just read in one thirteen that he's from both. and uh, Jesus was Messiah Ben David also clearly. Um, but we have a temporal Messiah. So we have so Joseph Smith is supposed to be like Moses and like Joseph of Egypt. well, they were they were temporal messiahs temporal deliverers. They deliver the people temporally. Jesus delivers us spiritually um, and his servants help deliver the gospel so the people can be delivered spiritually. So they they are a type for that for Jesus. But but these literal deliverers or literal messiahs, but for the temporal level of things or side of things, uh, Joseph is that person. And speaking of Ezekiel 37, we jump over there and see that uh, in this really famous quote that we say is about the Book of Mormon in the Bible. So let's scroll here. The word of the Lord comes unto me, Ezekiel, saying, Moreover, son of man, take one stick for Judah, etc., uh, etc., cetera, et cetera, and another stick for Ephraim, and join them together, and there will be one in my hand. Well, interestingly, the Book of Mormon is not the record of Ephraim, it's the record of Manasseh. So that can't be the Book of Mormon. And also, stick is better translated into, into tree, and tree is a metaphor for man according to the way that these ancient prophets used it. So take a man, a tree that is a man for Judah, and also take another tree or man for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim or the man of Ephraim, and join them together into one man, and there'll be one in thine hand. And then just scroll down. What do you mean by this? And so he tries to explain it again. And the sticks that you write on or the men shall be in thine hand before their eyes, or right before it we see, end of 19, there'll be one in my hand. And that is an Isaiah reference to the hand of the Lord that delivers his people. They will be one man. The Lord is trying to say, here's the mystery. The man of Judah and the man of Ephraim, join them together because it's one man. It's one in my hand. It's the hand of the Lord, the hand in Isaiah. So that mystery is important, especially when we just scroll right past those verses and we have this this idea that, I'll take the children of Israel from the heathen, and I'll bring them to their own land. So there's this idea of the gathering in the last days. And a king will be a king to them all. And there won't be any more two nations, this idea of Ephraim versus Judah. They won't be two, they'll be joined together. And they won't defile themselves anymore. And David, my servant, will be king over them. A lot of detractors to the idea of a Davidic servant, by the way, say, well, this is Jesus. It's like, well, no, because... Uh, it can't be jesus because jesus hasn't come yet when ezekiel 37 is fulfilled so it can't be jesus and by the way jesus is never ever ever referred to as a servant he is always the master or the lord so absolutely ridiculous to say this is jesus and this idea of david plays back into dnc 113 it is a servant in the hands of the lord who's a descendant of jesse david jesus okay so this my servant david will be king over them and they'll have one shepherd and they'll also walk in my judgments and my statutes. And this is before Jesus comes. So this is a shepherd over the house of Israel.
0: Interesting. Okay. Um, so just, I was looking on the Wikipedia page for Messiah ben Joseph. Mm-hmm. And like, obviously like rabbis all over the place have been writing about him. And there's a ton of references and, right. I don't understand all where all these things are coming from, but I think there was one where it said that the Messiah ben Joseph would be killed, but then come back to life. And I wondered if you had any thoughts about that.
1: Well, I'm not as deep into those. I am aware of that reference. Um, Some point out that that reference is in the last days that he'll be killed and be brought back to life Um, without studying it a lot. I mean, first of all, it's a tradition that's passed down. So how accurate has it been kept? Um, But but I, my understanding is that that, that would absolutely fit the narrative because he comes, he comes in this first half of the mission as a clear descendant of Joseph of Egypt, of Ephraim, and then in the second half of, of his mission, he's still a descendant of both, but he's coming as a clear descendant of David to be the rightful king to sit on the throne on the earth before the second coming to reestablish all of Israel and rejoin them all together. It's like, no, Jesus is supposed to sit on the throne. Gosh darn it, Jesus is the king of kings. There's kings under him. So we have to understand that. We have to understand that. And we have to understand that there has to be a king before Jesus comes back to unite the kingdoms. And it's not Jesus, he's letting his servant, just like David was able to join the house of Israel together. There will be another man on the earth to join the house of Israel together. So it has to, same thing has to play out again. And so it's it's not Jesus.
0: Gotcha, very interesting. Okay um, cool let's see what's next. Um, so I am very curious and you've kind of touched on this I think, but how could how in the world could Joseph Smith come back if he's dead like what is the mechanism that brings him back?
1: Excellent question. The short answer is he'll come back resurrected. The long answer is well, There are various levels of resurrection types of resurrection, but that's a deeper mystery. And thankfully, uh, the general idea has already been uh, talked about on your show on the first episode. So the idea of the doctrine of eternal lives, Joseph is born again, and he has to be born again with the way that the phrase says, we have section 103. Therefore I will raise up a man who'll be like Moses to raise up means be brought up from, from a babe into a man. So, and that raise up is brought up also in JST Genesis 50 slash 2 Nephi 3. And so that's how, that's how he would come back. But that's a type of resurrection. They'll say, oh, that's uh, reincarnation. And a lot of people quote the, a lot of people misquote the story um, about, well, they don't misquote, they misinterpret the story about the guy who comes, this preacher who was a murderer and claims that he's Matthias of old, come back. And Joseph says, your doctrine, is is an abomination it's of the devil and i rebuke you and they say therefore reincarnation can't be a thing well first of all saying reincarnation has a lot of baggage because uh, the hindu religion has its version of reincarnation this is resurrection and uh, um i know a lot of people who do believe in the idea of, doctrine of eternal lives or multiple mortal probations or multiple mortalities whatever you want to call it they think it can only be once per earth however when we look at all these references here joseph has to come back and this kind of work can only be done by a mortal, it can't be done by a translated being, it can't be done by a resurrected being, it has to be done by a mortal. They have to do all the heavy lifting. You can only assist from the other side. You can't do the work from the other side. You, have to, you can only assist. And this work is clearly work that, that we've already seen in these verses and these blessings, etc., that a mortal has to do. So that proves that theory wrong in and of itself. What also proves that theory wrong is the really subtle but on-the-nose references in DNC 107 that Seth was a perfect man just like his father in the likeness of his father, and you couldn't even distinguish him except by age. Well, if we're going to potentially believe in the Adam-God doctrine, uh, then and his father, and he has a son that's a perfect man that's in his exact image, that's Jesus Christ. And then Melchizedek comes along, Hundreds of years later, and Melchizedek is called the King of Peace, the King of Righteousness. There is only one King of Righteousness and King of Peace. Excuse me, that's Jesus Christ, and yet his people were translated taken to heaven, so they weren't dumb. They would have had lots of heavenly visions opened up unto them. Melchizedek was Jesus Christ. So the scriptures show that you definitely can come back to this earth more than once. Uh, and this obviously is a whole different theory. It could blow up, you know, a whole other series on this or whatever, but but the scriptures say that joseph will come back as a resurrected man but but a telestial resurrection and a telestial resurrection and i i really like this in the second podcast He kind of talked about that coming back into the telestial level over and over again a telestial resurrection means being born again and living again so joseph will come back and um, so will those servants and it's in this crazy idea of the doctrine of eternal lives when joseph said your doctrine is of the devil's it's because that man being matthias was the doctrine of the devil he was not matthias he was a murderer and teaching lies he was not saying that the doctrine of uh, coming back was of the devil i mean jesus says what do the people say that i am and they say well some think your lies come back and some think you're john the baptist some th- all these prophets from old that you're come back and Jesus doesn't say, well, that's ridiculous. We don't believe in that. That's doctrine of the devils. He's like, well, who do you think? It's like, well, I think you're Jesus, the son of God. And so now that doesn't, just because he doesn't say it, doesn't mean it's proof that I'm not indicating that that is, but it's just curious that that the Jews from their tradition would say that so easily that they literally believed he was Elijah coming back or Isaiah coming back. They literally believed it. Well. How could they? They were God's people. Where'd that teaching come from? So, uh, so the doctrine of eternal lives is how he would come back.
0: Okay, interesting. I just, I wonder if your so the scripture because well the whole doctrine of eternal lives it's not it's, it's not you know taught in the church generally. It's not um, right. generally under understood or accepted. Um, so, so at first when I, when I see a Facebook page or a theory about Joseph coming back, I think like resurrection where he's like raised from the dead, like Jesus was, and he has like a perfect body, immortal. Right. Um, and you don't think that that is a possible way for him to come back.
1: Uh, most people that probably follow the page will think that, and that's totally fine because I, I'm totally fine if people disagree with that. I mean, the, he can't come back translated because he died. So the only way to come back is be resurrected of some sort. Right. I, I believe that the scriptures point out that it will be a telestial resurrection being mortal again. Uh, a lot of people, because that's beyond their scope of belief, will believe it will be a celestial level resurrection like Jesus, like you're saying. Um, the The issue with that is a person at that level cannot do the work of a mortal um, that that kind of work has to be the work of moral and that's a whole longer conversation and so um, that's a good question and at the end of the day joseph has to come back if all these scriptures and quotes and blessings and whatnot are true so he'll come back resurrected whether you believe it's that or not That's fine you can believe you know people listening can believe i'm a kook and stop following the page because i believe that but no you could believe that he'll come back in a celestial level resurrection totally fine but he does have to come back and he can't come back translated so resurrected it is the only other option
0: do you think there's a possibility that he, and this might be a little, um, I don't know what the word is a little morbid or something, but do you think there's a possibility that he could, like his corpse could be healed, essentially, like and come back from the dead like Lazarus was, you know, like it's because it says the Marred servant will be healed. I, what are your thoughts on that? I don't know.
1: Yeah. So he, him being healed is, is a metaphor for being resurrected or given life again. Okay. Um, and how exactly metaphysically, biologically, etc., does that happen? Is this is old body given life again. I don't know. Uh, I don't know exactly how that process comes about, regardless of what kind of resurrection we're going to believe in a celestial level or terrestrial celestial. Um, how does that process take place? We have no idea. It'd be interesting to learn
0: that. Okay, cool. Um, so I want to know, do you think, do you think that Joseph is back yet?
1: I absolutely do. And I believe that because I believe that we are on the doorsteps of Isaiah starting to unfold. And if that's the case, he has to already be hidden. So Isaiah 49, 1, I'm hidden by the hand of the Lord, by the shadow of the Lord's. And we read that in um, Oliver Cowdery's vision blessing with Joseph as well. And uh, Joseph also mentions that in another quote that we can get to. Um, follow the page and, you know, you can get more of these. But I believe he's back, but he's hidden under the pavilion of the Lord. He is a polished shaft or polished arrow in the quiver of the Lord or in the bow of the Lord, meaning he is a weapon of the Almighty, but he's a secret weapon. He's a hidden weapon, and he only comes forward when we absolutely need him. So the world keeps descending into chaos. Uh, The Antichrist takes over. We come under bondage under him, and at the last moment of despair, just like third Nephi chapter one, at the last moment of despair, the people are about to be destroyed. And the Lord says, fear not, I'll deliver you on the morrow. And that's exactly how it plays out. In fact, that, the reason why that's in the Book of Mormon, because it's a type for happening again to the Lord's people in the last days. So the Lord's, Lord's already sent his servant back, getting all these things prepared, uh, doing the, that preparatory work, just like Moses had to do in the wilderness for 40 years before he came and redeemed Israel out of Egypt
0: yeah cool okay um so sorry do you still have a few more minutes yeah sorry i still have questions (laughs) um i've seen on the internet um some talk about the davidic servant and some connection with um what happened in to the stars in the sky on september 23rd 2017 yeah
1: the revelation 12 sign
0: what do you th- do you think that has anything to do with joseph's return and if so what
1: um yeah i mean couple just for final thought and no one has to believe me and we could you know message me or whoever we could talk about it more but uh and yeah i could be wrong but it's curious that that sign happened before and that that date was the date that the Book of Mormon was given to Joseph Smith in 1827. And that same sign in the heavens happened then. Uh, so I do believe that that sign marks. Uh, so, so the, the handing of the Book of Mormon to Joseph Smith was the official, here we go. Right. Uh, because obviously he'd been in, kind of in training at that point, And obviously he was still trained after that point, but that was the official it's on the work is a go green light. Boom. You know, push the red button rocket launch and i don't think it would be far from too far from the imagination to say oh it's the same date it's the same sign in the heavens it's that red button rocket launch again here we go now there are some other symbolisms there that uh symbolism for the church of the first born uh, but that would be coinciding with here we go getting this restoration this second half Of the restoration or re-restoration going again, uh, restoring the church of the firstborn to the earth, etc. There's a lot of symbolism there in that Revelation 12 sign about church of the firstborn and the kingdom of God coming back to the earth. Um, And that happening through the means of Adam on Dayaman, where the keys are given back to Adam and then to Christ, um, and then back to Joseph and John the Revelator and who all needs it for their latter-day work. And so, it, if that is the case, and that would mean Adam and Ayman happened, which would blow people's minds, and they would rant and rave and say, "No, that couldn't have," because all these things are supposed to happen before or during or etc. Well, there are possible explanations for how that could have happened, and maybe it didn't. But I don't think it would be too far beyond possibility. If Isaiah is about to unfold, then Adam and Eve has to have happened, because that has to happen before everything is rolled out for the final days.
0: So, uh, for those listening, um, that what happened on September 23rd, if I remember correctly, in 2017, there was the, the constellation of a woman, and there was like, was it Virgo?
1: Two,
0: yeah, Virgo, and was there was like a planet bouncing around inside, and then it kind of came. Okay, Saturn. And kind of like a birth, right? And they connect mm-hmm. that with Revelation 12. Did that did that same sign in the heavens happen in 1827? Is that what you were saying? Allegedly. Okay. Interesting. I didn't know that.
1: And uh, yeah, there's a, there's a great YouTube video on that. Um, wish I remembered right now, but if you just go to YouTube and, or search that on Google, you could find it. And, and for those listening, you could just easily Google revelation 12 sign 2017 Mm -hmm. and get some great images on it. Um, revelation 12 sign, 1827, uh, and google that and youtube that and there's a great video on a guy who draws that connection between 1827 and this time now i don't know i don't think he really draws tons of connection about joseph returning per se um but but i admit i draw that connection personally
0: cool do you think do you think that the sign in 2017 had to do with the the birth of joseph or just like the start of the second part. birth of the kingdom okay
1: birth of the kingdom and the return of the servant so just like so the birth of the ministry or the beginning of the ministry yes uh, but not the birth of him as a human because he has to again he has to already be ready to go just like in 1827 he had to be ready to go um so so that's what i think it would it would have to mean okay personally i know that some people think a lot of people who are into like the davidic servant whatnot they say oh it's him being born so that's when he was born um if we're on if we're on the timetable that i believe we are on the cusp of isaiah then no if if isaiah is 40 years off or whatever then absolutely possibility because then he has plenty of time to grow but considering the state of bondage that the world is already in and heading towards uh with this um with with the whole COVID and the constant new variants and all that, everyone has to get their shot and we're already locked down Austria and, and Australia. And you have to have the shot to be able to go anywhere and be able to do anything. That's starting to really creep close to revelation 13. If you don't have this thing, then he calls the mark of the beast. If you don't have this thing, you can't buy, you can't sell, you can't participate in society. So, so for me personally, we're already there on the cusp. So he's got to be back in revelation 12 sign, 18, 2017, uh, I think really points to that.
0: Okay, cool. Um, one more question: Do you do you think that the that Joseph returning is he? Does it have anything to do with those two witnesses in Jerusalem that are in Revelation eleven?
1: That's a really good question, and I know a lot more about Isaiah than I do Revelation. Okay. Um, I definitely think it's related because he oversees all the latter-day restoration of the tribes um uh, is he one of those two he could be i don't know if there's enough information in revelation that says it will be him uh but it will be two prophets and if it's not him they will have to be working under him because he has the keys and and oversees everything so they would have to be servants under joseph like oliver or Sidney were or, or hiram or whatever you know that it would be in that same kind of order, it would have that same order to it. A really good question, um, and that can't be our last question because we have a good one on here that we didn't. I yeah. insinuated a little bit, but the why the need to come back? I would love to address that briefly.
0: Yes, yes, please do. I I thought maybe, for the sake of time, I'd skip that one because you maybe have covered covered it. But let's let's talk about. Yeah, it. I know we've gone
1: a little bit long, but this one's extremely important because yeah. uh, it's hard to even believe this without the framework to say, well. Why would he even need to? This is—he doesn't even need to come back. The keys are here. We have our prophet of the church. etc. of et blah blah blah, uh, whatever or whatever people might say or might think. Um, but the answer is laid in the parable of the redemption of Zion, and he gave it in a parable for the same reason Jesus gave parables in his ministry, and that so that only those who have eyes to see and ears to hear will be able to see it. And in that parable, the enemy takes over while the foundation is being laid. So it gives the timetable. Enemy takes over the vineyard, destroys the servants' work, scatters the servants, knocks down their wall, destroys the twelve olive trees, um, and takes over. And then they have their own wall around the vineyard and their own tower in the vineyard and their own watchmen over the vineyard. And the Lord sends Joseph back with the, the residue of the servants to knock down that wall, knock down that tower, scatter those watchmen, and avenge the Lord of his enemies. And that's pretty clear... JST Matthew 21 talks about it too. So these these watchmen or husbandmen. I actually wrote an article that you can find uh, if you just Google um, how do you interpret the parable of the wicked husbandman Matthew 21. I wrote a whole article pointing out who who are these husbandmen and what what does it mean because the JST of Matthew 21 helps expand it to connect it to the latter days and we have wicked husbandmen and. Husbandmen and watchmen have very specific definitions in Scripture. And this challenges extreme tradition to even come to accept it. But Joseph has to come back because an enemy took over the vineyard, which is the Lord's people, the twelve olive trees, the Lord's people, corrupted the gospel. Um, And we see remnants of that in when we read in section 85, the one mighty and strong comes to do what? To set in order the house of God. It's out of order. Joseph's final dream, the night before he died, he comes back to the... He's, he says, I saw Kirtland, the old farm that we had in Kirtland, and I was coming up on it. It was all run down, and the barn was about just like falling apart, basically, and full of mud inside, and just total, not, not even not even exactly close to what it was back in its prime, you know, a decade ago or so. And he comes into it and an angry man comes in, what are you doing here? And he's like, well, I own this. This belongs to me. And he's like, no, you're not welcome here and threatens him and rants and rails. And, and eventually Joseph says, well, I don't even want it anyway in the state that it's in and a bunch of other guys rush in and they start fighting each other with knives and shouting at each other, et et cetera, et cetera. While Joseph walks away. That is extremely prophetic. Uh, the barn represents the house of God that's totally out of order. And Joseph comes back, that's, he's got to finish the restoration or re-restore because it went out of order during his day and has been out of order. And it is it is an alternative view to, to history that has been hid from all of us all this time, but it's been right in front of us in the scriptures. The scriptures tell that story. Um, and this parable this interpretation of JST Matthew 21 says the same thing. He says at the end of JST Matthew 21, he says, let's see, here it is, Matthew 21, JST Matthew 21. The kingdom of God will be taken from the Jews and be given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof, meaning the Gentiles. Well, the kingdom isn't given to all the Gentiles, it's given to the Gentiles who accept the kingdom and understanding the definition of Gentiles is important the way that Nephi and other prophets in the Book of Mormon use them. It's those those Gentiles who have the gospel. In, in the Kirtland Temple Prayer, section 109, verse 60, Joseph said, Joseph says, us who are likened unto the Gentiles in the prayer. So so the Gentiles, in this context, are the Gentiles that received the kingdom, aka the Latter-day Saints. So, wherefore, on whomsoever the stone shall fall, grind into powder. That significance talking about destroying the wicked men. Therefore, when the Lord comes, he will destroy the miserable, wicked men, the husbandmen. So that's the servant going and scattering those uh, wicked watchmen, the enemy watchmen, over the vineyard. And he will let or give, again, his vineyard to other husbandmen. So that's Joseph Smith and the servants. Even in the last days will render him the fruits in their seasons. The fruits in their seasons, that's Jacob 5, the servants coming for that second time. So then they understood, the disciples, the parable that he spake, that the Gentiles, the Gentiles, section 109, verse 60, Latter-day Saints, should be destroyed also when the Lord should descend out of heaven to reign in his vineyard, which is the earth. Well, not all the Latter-day Saints, those Latter-day Saints who aren't catching the vision and understanding that he's sent his servant again. Uh, and Jesus says in 3 Nephi 23 or uh, 21 that they won't believe it, even though a man will declare it to them. So I don't think, I don't think the members of the church will accept Joseph when he comes back. I don't think they'll believe it's him, just like the Jews did not ex- believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They didn't accept him. They didn't see it, at least the majority of them, because his apostles were obviously Jews, and they believed him, and all all those disciples were Jews, you know, and the Samaritans were the mixture um, Jews. So. The type and shadow is there. The Lord makes it really clear in in this. So he needs to come back because it's been out of order. And section 112 is pointing to that same thing. Darkness covers the earth. Gross darkness, the minds of the people. All flesh has become corrupt. Now all flesh, Nephi and Isaiah says, all flesh, including the Lord's people, has become corrupt. So vengeance comes upon the earth. This is the day of the Lord, the day of destruction. And 25, he makes it super clear. And upon my house or upon my people shall it begin the destruction first among those among you who've professed to know my name these are the enemies these are the wicked watchmen or the wicked husbandmen because those among you who've professed to know my name well we only have one class of people in the church who profess to know the name of the lord and they haven't known me and have blasphemed against me in the midst of my house so to blaspheme is take the Lord, name of the Lord in vain to say, I know the Lord and I'm speaking for the Lord and you haven't. And that goes back to Jeremiah 23, where we started. We didn't read the whole chapter, but he's talking about the prophets who say they speak in the name of the Lord. And he says, they they're they not speaking what I told them. They're speaking their, their own dreams, their own visions, their own words, and they're stealing words from each other. They're not taking my words. Uh, so read Jeremiah 23. So they're the only one class of people that this could be, those who profess to know my name and haven't known me. Well, section 64, also talking about the second coming and establishing Zion says, and hypocrites and liars will be reproved by the children of zion and those who are not apostles and prophets shall be known so apparently there are those who call themselves the prophets and po- apostles and prophets of the lord and the lord says they're not and that's really similar to in revelation when john says and those who call themselves jews and are not will be made known so there's a, there's some hypocrisy going on supposedly so and look and this i'm just reading scriptures and i'm i'm suggesting interpretation which i imagine will upset a lot of listeners um but but isaiah is pretty clear about it jeremiah is pretty clear Ezekiel's pretty clear in fact when nephi quotes isaiah 49 he adds a phrase that's not in isaiah and, and so i'll just close with this uh so let's pull up second nephi or first nephi 21. this is the first bit of isaiah that nephi quotes and it's interesting that nephi is getting this vision of the last days and he starts telling us about it. And then the angel says, well, you can't keep going because it's supposed to be given by John the revelator. And so Nephi says, okay, so I got to stop. Well, as soon as he gets back to telling us about the last days, he just quotes Isaiah because he can't tell us himself. So instead he quotes Isaiah. So one of the first things he quotes is this Isaiah 49 verse one, which has this extra verbiage, hearken O ye house of Israel, all ye that are broken off and driven out, AKA scattered, because of what? The wickedness of the pastors, which is shepherds, the wickedness of the shepherds of my people. The shepherds of my people are wicked, he says, and you are, you are scattered and driven out because of that. Yea, all ye that are broken off, that are scattered abroad, who are of my people, O house of Israel. And then here's that reference that I kept mentioning all night long. The servant comes and he says, listen, O Iles unto me, this is the servant speaking, and hearken ye people from far. The Lord has called me from the womb. So before I was born, he called me. Or, in other words, from the bowels of my mother, before I was born, hath he made mention of my name. So we're supposed to know the name of this servant before he comes this time. Well, it's Joseph. He's the only servant available as far as the scriptures are concerned. And then here's that other reference that we saw. And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me, being hid by the pavilion of the Lord. And made me a polished shaft or arrow in his quiver or in his bow, hath he hid me. So he says, I'm coming forth as this weapon of the Lord. My mouth is like a sharp sword, being able to speak. And when the Lord says destroy or speak by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost, two two applications there. So this, this hidden weapon, he's been hidden all this time by the time he comes forward here. So the main focus here, though, was this added phrase driven and broken off because of the wickedness of the pastors of my people. The pastors are the shepherds of my people. We only have, that that only can apply to to certain people. And Isaiah says over and over again, even though this part of Isaiah isn't in the King James Isaiah, the King James Isaiah says it over and over again. Jeremiah says it a lot. Ezekiel says it a ton. Matthew 21, same thing. DNC 101, same thing. So Joseph has to come back to set the house in order because it's out of order. Um, and I know this is crazy This was crazy when I first started learning it And I didn't even believe it And then it took me a long time And then Isaiah hit me over the head really hard And, and uh, reading, reading the Isaiah translation by Abraham Gileadi Helped make it a lot clearer In reading a lot of his books And then going back and studying Isaiah myself And realizing all these scriptures are talking about it that This pattern of, of, of apostasy of the Lord's people From head to toe Which Isaiah says from head to toe From top to bottom apostasy a lot of a lot of saints are quick to believe that there's apostasy among the people, uh, but not so quick to believe that there could possibly be apostasy towards the top because they believe in what's a false tradition of our fathers, that um, the prophet can't lead us astray. But that was invented by a man. The Lord does never say that. The scriptures actually say the opposite. And I did actually a three-hour presentation video called Does God Allow a Prophet to Lead Us Astray? And I walk through all those scriptures to show that the scriptures say that those who call themselves prophets can lead us astray, and that the Lord allows it so that we can learn to discern and to follow the word of God and to follow the Spirit, because if we only had to follow a man and his words, there's no need for the for the Spirit. And this challenges all of our traditions and what we were raised to believe. And so I realize that it makes me sound like an apostate. Totally get it. I totally get it, and I accept that. Uh, but I think the scriptures prove it out.
0: Very interesting. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um lots to think about dustin thank you so much
1: my pleasure thanks for having me on i love sharing it and uh you know if someone actually made it all the way to the end of this thanks for listening and uh you know consider it you don't have to believe it um uh come and come and follow the page and look at some of the stuff yourself look at the show notes uh that ryan's got and please listen to his other episodes it's a lot of fun stuff ryan i would be remiss if i didn't say i think what you're doing is absolutely awesome because regardless if any of these things are true it's extremely important to be willing to listen to other things. And you obviously are a shining example of that. You have such a fantastic ability to research and just have an open mind and talk and uh, listening to interview all these, all these people, I think is what you're doing is fantastic. Uh, and it's really fun to be able to listen to other points of view. Uh, you know, there's that old saying, it's the mark of an educated man or woman to be able to listen to a totally different side of something and not, believe it or not feel compelled to believe it or feel like their uh, beliefs are being threatened you can just listen to it and say oh huh, interesting and and I think most of us struggle with that including myself because we don't want uh, our traditions or our beliefs to be challenged because we don't want to we don't want to face this notion of oh what I believed all this time hasn't been accurate um, yeah. you know like when I found out Santa Claus wasn't true you know just I had a really tough three days <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I want the podcast to be a place where people can share what they believe and what they think and what they've studied. And it's not, I'm not here to debate or uh, try to persuade anyone. Just, I just want to hear what they think. So I really appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. Um, I, we're going to have some awesome show notes. I'm going to, going to have you send all the, all the cool stuff, all those pictures or that picture that you showed. And, um, we'll send some of those links to the things we talked about. So, um, yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Dustin.
1: Hey, thank you, Ryan. I look forward to more of your episodes in the coming days.
0: Yeah. Thanks for listening.